0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Kane and Rinse podcast. This is another of our format specials, and we've come to a much-requested one, a cult classic, if you will, and we'll talk about why, of course, it's the Sega Dreamcast. We don't have up to six billion players in this podcast, but joining me, Leon Cox, are from Kane and Rinse, Carl Moon. Hey, guys. Uh, we've got popular YouTuber uh, Logan Paul. No, Ben Cartledge.
1: Good day, evening, <laughs> so- or whatever it is where you are
0: as if I would be so rude. And we've got another of our favourite YouTubers. It's PewDie... No, it's not PewDiePie. It's John Linneman. It's way better than that idiot. Hi, John. Hi, how's it going, guys? Thanks for having me. All right. From Digital Foundry, Retro in uh, in particular, and uh, currently leading the uh, evangelical charge towards the return of the cathode ray tube in all our gaming lives. Yes, indeed. Uh, So... Speaking of which, uh, this is a machine that benefits from a nice monitor, the Sega Dreamcast. It was known as Project Katana during development. Possibly one or two other things, but that was the one that uh, caught on, as I recall. A sixth generation console that came out originally in 1998. This year is its 21st anniversary. There have been quite a few articles and pieces and things recently celebrating its 20th anniversary. But actually, that was the US launch on 9999, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the european followed a little after but the first thing to do is talk about our histories with the machine um and sort of memories from the time why were we excited for it why did you like the name and so on and so
2: forth let's start with john oh boy this is a machine that i i can't even begin to describe how much this meant to me at the time wow. i was uh well it's more like this was kind of I guess at the point where I was making enough money to start purchasing my own gear, so to speak. Exciting times, I was, uh, you know, I had been into consoles in the past, but I was in high school during the Dreamcast launch, and I was, you know, spent most of my time actually playing PC games, upgrading my PC and everything, but when the Dreamcast was revealed, it sort of, like, reignited my love of Sega in a way, because I had Mm -hmm. loved the Genesis slash Mega Drive so much. So... I was absolutely consuming every bit of media leading up to the release. I picked up a Saturn fairly late in its life, uh, and just bought tons of games for that in preparation. You know, I'm playing the system at the stores when it's available. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was, I was really excited for this. I mean, nine, dollars 99 hit, you know, I didn't have enough money to import the system, mind you, but you know, I, when it actually launched in the U S I had pre-ordered it, you know, After school, drive over to the store, pick up the system, three games. Uh, It was one of those things that I feel like that's the game that really kicked off, like, just my current state of, like, loving games in the industry. Like, everything kind of started there. That's also right around the time when I got into, like, discussion forums and really on the internet, and, like, everything just came together, and it all kind of centers around the Dreamcast.
0: Right. Well, I'm so glad we got you on this show, then. It uh, sounds like we couldn't have a more appropriate guest. And also, we know that you know the technical side of things rather well, oh, yes. uh, which will help us out of the uh, some of the holes that we'll probably find ourselves in as uh, as mere laymen. Ben, the Dreamcast, was this uh, on your radar? Or was this just something you ended up getting into because you were waiting for the PS2, or, or what happened?
1: So basically, um, that kind of time period, late 90s, um, I went to university in 1998 like i stayed at home but uh i think for for most people like uh the university years are kind of the rock and roll years in your life in so many respects like i had a bit more cash i was going out a bit more i was kind of partying a bit more i'd still like i had i had a playstation at the time and uh i randomly during during the uh, late 90s 2000s picked up a neo geo pocket as well so like mm-hmm. there's a few things going on at the time and uh it was when we had the great uh, when we had the, the great fuel protest in the uh, in the UK in, in around about two thousand. Oh, yeah. I got a, I got a train to my mate's house, and then because uh, he lived about he lived about twenty miles away, and I couldn't drive, so I got a train to my mate's house, and then they took all the trains off. So I like was like, well, I'm stuck at my mate's house then, and uh, and he bought uh and he bought a Dreamcast not too long before, and it was just levels apart from anything that I'd seen or anything that I was playing at the time, really and uh, there was just I remember kind of it was one of those moments really when I just thought to myself like this is this is different you know when you play something that's like a that seems like a a monumental kind of step up it it felt like that like we we played a couple of things and I was like this and I hadn't seen it I wouldn't say I hadn't hadn't seen it kind of too much I'd see I'd read quite a bit about it but I hadn't seen there wasn't that many places with too many kind of display models and I can't I hadn't really played anything really uh, aside a quick like two minutes in the odd computer shop really. Do you know what I mean? And uh, when I when I kind of sat and played that like yeah I did have one of those moments where I just thought to myself like one I hope I can get home so I can get back to work and earn some money and buy one of these things and two like this is probably going to change the way that I look at playing video games going forward really and as we'll, we'll find out it really did. But I mean I'll never forget that here. Like I say that, that, that kind of to have, to have something to stand out in that kind of a uh, uh, kind of time when everything's going a bit crazy, like I can still remember to the, do you know what I mean, to the the day and the hour and exactly what it was like when when we first kind of fired that thing up, and and uh, yeah, I quickly stopped worried about how I was going to get home because I was like, well, I'd rather not, I'd rather <laughs> okay. not. To be honest, yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're all good here, but yeah, it was uh, truly something special. Incidentally, it was the same friend who uh, sold me out and uh, didn't end up trying to beat Ghosts and Goblins with me that Monday. That I beat it on my own. Oh, so yeah. so we are stick it. If you're listening, I'm only joking. D- <laughs> it, it was D- him, though.
0: <laughs> Check out our Ghosts and Goblins podcast for that uh, for the history. The rest of that anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, uh, does this one involve your ever generous gaming father or not? <laughs> uh, <laughs>
3: yes, uh, Good. unbelievably, uh, yeah, it does. So around 1998, I was starting to play more and more on the pc we'd invested in getting a pc i was one of the first in my school that had a, a pc capable of doing that and i'd kind of started to lean heavily in that direction and and it wasn't that i was uh against consoles i was waiting for something to to show me something a little bit different to get me you know back across if you will i've always been a bit more fond of, of that side of, of of the market and the Dreamcast was the one that sold it to me. So we used to have a news agent in town that would import issues of EGM. Um and that had by far and away the best coverage of, of the Dreamcast of any of the magazines that we had on sale because it seemed at, at least even at that point that the, the media hype was leaning more towards what the next PlayStation was going to be than what we were going to get. Coming first with the Dreamcast, and that was really frustrating to me. So I ended up having to import magazines to get what seemed to be the least biased coverage. And I got really, really excited for this. And not even the fact that Man United's biggest rivals at the time, Arsenal, decided to blazing it across the front of their shirts, could deter me from the fact that I really wanted this console. Yeah. Not even the fact that America stole our release it and made us wait even longer because 99.99 was really cool to release it on. Mm. Um, I even imported. <laughs> paid the full receipt and everything through to EB Games in America to get a, a console issued early, and it turned out they wanted loads of security checks. Um, yeah. It was very strange, given that it was releasing in two weeks' time, etc. And it felt like myself and my father, me being the one that wanted it, him being the one that was paying, uh, really wanted to get a hold of this console as soon as we could. Unfortunately, it meant that we did actually have to wait for our release date last, um, as was always the case. Yeah, and I went to school. I tried to get the day off. Uh, it didn't happen. <laughs> um, my dad said he'll go and pick the console up in the morning. I always came home for lunch, and I came. home.
0: Oh, that's almost <laughs> worse though. Just coming home for like thirty minutes. That or was something it. Before yeah, oh.
3: it was. It was like fifteen minutes from school, and you had an hour lunch, so it was yep. half an hour at home. Yeah, you could quickly yep. make a bacon sandwich, um, and get back home, and. Right there on the living room floor was a console, a fight stick, an extra controller, two VMUs, and I want to say it was four or five games at launch. Mm I have never wanted to go back to school less Mm -hmm. than I did that afternoon. And I I, I basically zoned out of every afternoon lesson and ran home. Um, And I still had to wait for my dad because he was late home from work. Uh, So unfair. Uh, so yeah, my um my whole build up to the launch of the Dreamcast was an incredible event that seemed to span around a year of reading the coverage, um as as EGM covered it quite heavily from America, and then kind of the the huge build up of anticipation for nine nine ninety nine, um and then our blue logoed last release uh, hardware release, and then yeah got that a huge deal. Uh, across the weekend, suddenly, everyone at school wanted to be my best friend um yeah, it was quite the thing it was quite the event for me it was uh by far and away my most memorable console launch.
0: oh really wow, okay uh I guess that's why you're here too then carl yeah um uh, not not so memorable for me uh i'd already been i'd loved my pal mega drive that I'd had from sort of ninety or ninety one until um yeah ninety seven or something uh my Saturn... i'd really fallen in love and that was the start of my importing era and so on so i'd been for the last couple of years of the saturn's life i've been playing uh loads of amazing stuff from japan radiant silver gun and uh you know all the import fighting games vampire savior and so on and so forth and i kind of bought into that in a big way um and i was still i was still playing playstation and everything else as well So for me, this was just, this was, yeah, the start of the next gen. It was Sega's next machine. Of course, I was excited. But unfortunately, although I was out of, you know, I was working and earning money, I didn't have enough just to splash out what, you know, I mean, it was was a pretty neat launch price of 200 quid. But of course, once you factored in games and controllers and everything else, you were looking at three or four hundred pounds. And I just didn't have the money quite there at the time. But fortunately, a colleague of mine did go and buy everything day one and then for whatever reason needed some cash like a week later or two weeks later. So I bought his at a bit of a knockdown price, got Trick Style, Sonic Adventure and Power Stone with it. Uh and I think the whole thing sort of set me back two hundred and fifty or something. So I got myself a bit of a bargain. And that's the machine I've still got. It's right here next to me. It is no longer white. Uh yeah. <laughs> it is uh I know you can you can have them refurbed and and maybe I will someday, but uh it's uh it's like like the commodore amiga it's gone a sort of nicotine yellow color for the most part uh which is a shame but there you go uh yeah i bought arcade sticks i bought everything as they all the big games as they came out i was thrilled when they started releasing games that actually had 60 hertz options uh from the load up screen and yeah just some of some of sega's most exciting creative titles i was just disappointed they didn't do Burning Rangers DX or 2 for the Dreamcast. They never got round to that. But uh, my other question to you all is because I know we always get used to these things like the Wii and any you know the Vita and all the others, all the other crazy consoles with silly names. But the Dreamcast, I think genuinely, we'll, we'll obviously we'll talk about why it wasn't a massive mainstream success, but I think maybe the name was one of the issues. Crazily, they were, well, it seems crazy now, but because Sega's name was a bit mud, uh, at the point of the Saturn doing so badly that they were actually going to they were talking about branding this just purely the Dreamcast a bit a bit like you might see with Xbox you know just to try to sort of almost obfuscate the fact that it was a Sega machine but they they did go with the Sega logo in the end um but yeah supposedly a portmanteau of dream and broadcast uh, it's kind of an odd name isn't it but did we like it
2: I liked it I thought it was yeah. I thought it was fun I mean you know, it's one of those things where first time you hear any console name, it can often mm. sound a little strange. I mean, Definitely. PlayStation, I mean, it's a play on workstation, yeah. of course, but, uh, you know, even Xbox sounds, Absolutely. the Wii obviously got, <laughs> but you know, they, they eventually grow on you, and I actually thought Dreamcast, it was a nice, neat name with a cool little swirly logo, it just, it yeah. The whole aesthetic, the white, clean aesthetic they Mm. went for, was very different from typical Sega. Yeah. And I thought it it kind of felt like a fresh new Sega at the time. And Mm. it kind of was in many ways, but uh, obviously that wasn't enough.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And uh, as a a purely aesthetic thing, did you prefer uh, orange or blue, swirl-wise? Orange for life. Orange for life, okay.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it makes me sad. I'm the same way. I definitely prefer I the orange the blue logo was okay. to blue. I thought the blue
0: was. It's fine. Yeah, I it's mean, fine. it's it's the the blue's okay. Like the the orange is canon, and the blue is is non canon. There was a reason, wasn't there? Does anyone know that it was? There was a was there...
3: company that used a similar logo that's that was it. orange.
0: I, I think that's it. Yeah, I think it was as simple as that.
2: That in in the EU there was another swirly logo. I mean, it's not the first time this has happened with Sega. I mean, the whole reason that the Genesis was called the Genesis yeah. instead of the Mega Drive right. in America, it was, it was the same kind of thing. Yeah, so. totally.
0: And it still leads to confusion to this day uh, <laughs> and people sticking to their guns about, uh, about what it was. Uh, another little nugget of trivia. The, the, the famous startup sound was composed by the uh, legendary, Composer Ryuchi Sakamoto, composer, and mu- musician, um, and that's one. That's one of those noises that I can hear in my head any time I close my eyes if I want to.
2: Oh
3: yeah, very memorable. I mean, the only way that could have got better, as a fact, would have been if it was made by Koji Kondo. So I, I thought for a second that that's the direction surprising. you were going. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> wow, no wonder that is not well known. That
2: was the thing, yeah. actually, at the time. You remember, I think, like, Brian Eno did, uh, like, the Windows yeah. 95 startup sound or something? That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there was, like, this thing of, like, okay, let's get, like, famous musicians and, you know, composers to do the mm. sound for your
0: system. Ding. Yeah. Yeah, or, like, uh, getting uh, Steve Vai to riff all over Halo, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. A few years later. <laughs> uh dreamcast ben was that a, was that a cool name to you did it sound cool did it sound mysterious or did it sound a bit silly
1: i don't know it, it it's an odd one isn't it but then like it's contextually it's kind of a strange time isn't it like it was kind of that kind of type of period where people are first starting to get widely available internet it kind of felt like the the, the future do you know what i mean that whole kind yeah. of time and the turn of the millennium as well like uh i think giving it a pseudo kind of Futuristic, sort of odd name, kind of worked a little bit. I think it kind of si- new agey. Yeah, it's, I think it's a perfect mm. kind of. It, it's a perfect hallmark of that time, really. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think mm. it's, it kind of represents like a a lot of stuff. Uh, and it's just suitably a bit weird as well, which I think that I, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, console, like you say, that time goes by and like you get used to them, and it's not like you don't every time you go. Well, I'm going to play on my cut Like you don't think about that and you don't watch it. But yeah, like it, it, it kind of it fits in that kind of period perfectly for me.
3: Yeah. Uh, the strange thing for me is that and and it's the biggest cliche that ever exists with the dreamcast is the whole it's ahead of its time but then you get mm. the word cast in there which is far more mm. synonymous with modern day technology of actually mm. casting stuff so right. if it was the name of a console now it would make far more sense than it did in 1999
0: a like chrome or yeah yep. yeah exactly something like that, exactly, something sure. like that. And,
3: yeah. and i think you know john mentioned there aesthetically that was a huge appeal to me um Mm. so i didn't like the look of the playstation i I didn't like the look of the saturn um and then the dreamcast came around it was white it looked a little bit different and i think in terms of how consoles still look under a tv the dreamcast is the one that i still find has the most visual appeal of the of the older generations of consoles i still think it has quite a lot of charm about it um as a design
0: i think I think it's quite nice. I've got mine here. It's uh it's surprisingly weighty, obviously. That was if the they surprise, made, I think. <laughs> if they made it now, it wouldn't need to have so much weight. It's got the nice orange uh or am um, was it orange or green? Or I can't even remember. The the LED, the triangle oh, LED orange. at the front of the lid. It's orange. It is orange. Um to go with our blue thing, swirl. Yeah. The thing I think they might change now is it's got these five dimples on either side of the disc tray, which look a bit retro, I think, more than, I think it would be smooth. One thing that always
2: uh, annoyed me a little bit is if you have the Japanese unit, the Mm -hmm. the little piece of plastic above the triangle LED, it's sort of like a transparent, glassy-looking material, whereas on the Western units, it's just like a grey plastic. Uh, I always wondered why they did that, and it, it does look cheaper to me
0: probably saved them like 0.03p yeah, on every exactly. every unit or something like that somebody somewhere's crunching the numbers uh more launch stories this is from shields from the forum who says i wrote in my homework diary the original european launch of september shortly after my own birthday and i couldn't be even more excited and then sega delayed the launch a whole month i was devastated on launch day i woke up early so excited My mum bundled my sister and I into the car, and we drove to the shop just after opening. Not that I was expecting a huge queue for the console. I had my deposit ticket in hand, ready to grab the console and my single game. We got in, and I picked it up in a special Dreamcast blue spiral bag, and I was so happy. Until they dropped the bombshell, they'd not received Sonic Adventure. The games hadn't arrived, which meant the only game that I'd pre-ordered and wanted was unavailable. I would have the most powerful games machine in the world, but no games to play on it. The guy behind the counter at Electronics Boutique had an idea, unorthodox but wonderful. He said that they were sure that the games would come in at some point that day. So if it was okay, I could take away another game from the launch lineup and then bring it back and swap it out for Sonic when it was available. The game I brought home was Trickstyle, which was, as far as I can remember, not that bad at all, really. But it wasn't Sonic. Later that day, it turned out that the games had been delivered so I could get Sonic. Once I had it in my hand, my life was changed. Well done, EB, back in 1999 for for being so flexible. And uh, I suppose it's effectively making them a pre-owned game there, uh, which they make more profit on. Um, <laughs> let's look at launch prices. So it was 29,000 yen in Japan. Uh, probably more familiar to most of us, it was 199 US dollars. That translates to $308 in modern money. Um, and in Britain, it was uh, £200, which translates to £344. If they now, if Microsoft or Sony released the newest, most powerful console on the market, the Xbox X2 or the uh, Xbox One X2 um, or the <laughs> or the PlayStation 5, and it was... Three hundred eight dollars or three hundred forty-four quid. Our minds would be blown.
2: This was a bargain, right? Yeah, but that's you know that's kind of where most consoles had were kind of priced anyway in that range, the the two to three hundred range. And it was always kind of like cautionary tales before that. I mean, Saturn was four hundred. Yeah. in the US. Uh, the 3DO had come and gone at like seven hundred. You know, there yeah. there was enough tales of okay, well, we can't sell this at a high price and and achieve excellent sales. So I think Sega trying to make a play here back in the market. I think one of their main goals was they needed to be at a very competitive price, even with the current systems in the market, uh, which yeah. is great. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's exactly what they did.
3: I mean, that, yeah. that was exactly it. There was already a squeeze on that console from launch from PlayStation 2 was like the the whole hype uh, behind that because the PlayStation had absolutely dominated Um, the Saturn had released at far too higher price point and and obviously Really hampered their image, Um particularly uh, among the people I knew um, in in the UK, it was just yeah. there was a lot of concern that well, what if it's what if it's expensive again? It's I'm going to wait for the next PlayStation. It's the PlayStation exclusives, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Sega had to get this in people's homes, um, so it had to be. It could have potentially re- released a little bit more expensive, but they kind of. They knew what they had to do, and they, they kind of made that financial sacrifice.
1: There've been quite a few expensive consoles as well, and like you mentioned, a few of them. I, I want to say mm. the uh, I want to say the Pippin came out in about ninety-seven, and that was, <laughs> that was like that was like six hundred dollars. That launched as Apple. What yeah, did you expect? that launched at six hundred dollars. Yeah, that was
2: kind of in that weird time period of like edutainment machines, where it's like, hey, it's like a computer under your TV. Yeah. You know,
0: and obviously the Neo Geo costed quite a bit, and the uh, the Commodore CD TV as well.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: yeah. I think they regretted that one. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. And yes, despite that competitive price, the machine, we'll we'll go on to discuss why we think it was. And obviously, you know, there's plenty of stuff written out there. If, if people want to look into the, the full history of the console from inception to discontinuation on March 31st, 2001. Um, but it wasn't enough. It only ended up in the homes or at least in terms of new sales of 9.13 million people, which is, you know, the kind of numbers that uh, something like the, the PS4 or the Switch would just absolutely laugh
2: themselves silly at. Well, I mean, you know, the industry was also different back then somewhat. It's very true. I mean, if you look at, true. like, sales of the original Xbox and the GameCube as well, I mean, yeah, they were fairly low. Um It's very true. And, I mean, years later, the Wii U... Ended up selling not that much more than the Dreamcast. That's very true. At as a well. time when yeah. those sales were even worse. So, but then again, you know the Wii U was also a failure. So it it just didn't kill Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: Ashman eighty six from the forum uh, says, "When I was eleven years old, I wrote an email to Sega's official customer service address, proclaiming my undying love to their company and expressing how I couldn't wait to see the still officially unannounced next generation console they were cooking up." At the time, I'd assumed it would be a 64-bit system, and I told them as much. Imagine my delight and surprise when they actually responded and told me that the next Sega console would in fact be 128-bit. Now, I'm sure that some Sega rep hadn't actually leaked secret console details to a kid over the internet, and in fact, I had even seen the name Project Dural floating around in the magazines I read but I was certain then that I was go- I was the first person outside of Sega's office to learn this revelation, and I was ecstatic. Now I'm going to confess, my assumption at the time was, well, okay, I've seen the graphics on this Dreamcast, and it makes the wobbly, fuzzy, low-poly graphics of the PlayStation, and even the N64 look absolutely ancient by comparison. So this is obviously, ahead of the PS2, a 128-bit console, right? Oh completely no. <laughs> John, tell us what's actually inside a Dreamcast.
2: Well, I mean, uh, the whole the whole hardware story is pretty interesting, but yeah, it's really just a Hitachi SH4 which is a 32-bit CPU. I think a lot of um companies used like various like memory buses or they would find some yeah. component within the system or some sort yeah. of something that was running at a different precision and they're like, oh, well, this is this runs like this, so let's just call it this, and there was you know this was this yeah. was post bit wars, so they were looking for any way to throw around yeah. those labels, but yeah it's but I don't think for a system of this vintage that having that would even really make sense so no, it doesn't no. it doesn't actually matter, but for me the the hardware I think is so fascinating because um that that's kind of we had that battle between uh power v R and, uh, 3D mm. effects, you know, with the black belt, uh, you guys are familiar with that one, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, that was, uh, that could have been like a voodoo three derivative instead of the power VR based solution that we ended up with. And I mean, they ended up suing over that basically since the way Sega sort of worked with the Japanese company NEC for the power mm. VR. And, you know, in the end though, I think power VR was probably a good choice and it was quite interesting. Uh, so yeah, it had the 32-bit Hitachi CPU, you know, their previous couple machines, the Saturn also used a Hitachi SH2, uh, two of them, in fact. Two of them, And so did the 32X as well. Uh, So this made a lot of sense. It just had 16 megabytes of system memory, 8 megabytes of video memory, and 2 megabytes of audio memory. Uh, Mm. and then there was the two modems you had. In Japan, it launched, I guess, with a 33.6 modem. And yeah. there's talk that Bernie Stoller in particular was pushing to have a fifty six K modem in the US and general the yeah. Western machines, so that's what it shipped with, though it would eventually receive the uh the network adapter with for broadband mm. support. Yeah. Which uh they still fetch a pretty penny. Uh another yeah. another, you know, weird misconception I always see is everybody always looks at the little Windows CE logo on there and say, Oh, well, the Dreamcast right. ran Windows CE, but that isn't really mm. true. Aha! Uh Myth busting. That was just what, what, how, what's the what's the deal there then? So that's really just an kind of uh, so you can use different APIs when developing software, right? And different libraries, I guess you could say. And it was possible to use the Windows CE libraries, which was designed to ease porting from the PC and the like, uh, or Sega's own internal libraries, I guess, like their custom libraries. Those were much faster, and most of the best-looking, most high-performing Dreamcast games used Sega's libraries. Mm. And all of this stuff was located on the disk itself. So this isn't like, oh, the system is running this operating system. It does have an operating system, but it's not It's yeah. not Windows. If you used None. Windows CE libraries, that, that was part of the disk you inserted into the drive only, mm. right? So the software mm. used these libraries. So it's not, you know... It really isn't a Windows derivative, as you've often heard. And I can, I, I can yeah. see why people would think that, though, because it says sure. right on the front of the machine, powered yeah, by Windows CE. So it's like, oh. It sure does. <laughs> yeah, it made me sort of think that this was a,
0: looking at the specs at the time, I probably didn't really clock the 32-bit thing. I just... For me, um, I didn't get. I I got my first PC gaming PC around this time, maybe a bit after. So for me, it was like I I assumed that this was a little dedicated kind of mini gaming PC, Mm. but one that Sega had all the keys to, and therefore would get the most they possibly could out of it with optimization and and whatever. But then that first wave of ports, we're going to talk more about the games later. But uh, I remember there being some discussion about the. The non-first first-party conversions of things like uh, Sega Rally Two being a bit framey and a and, and a bit whatever, and people saying that they seemed like kind of PC ports or something. I'm not sure what the deal was there.
2: Oh, uh, I mean, I think Sega Rally Two was actually a Windows CE based game. There we go. Um, right. So yeah, it was not a great conversion. And honestly, mm. I mean, the Model Three, the Sega Model Three hardware that was still in the arcades around the time of the Naomi and Dreamcast. We'll have to talk mm. about the Naomi, perhaps, because it's very important. Uh, the Model Three still had some advantages overall, but you could you could get very close on Dreamcast, and in fact, Dreamcast games yeah. render at a higher resolution than the yeah. Model Three as well. So that's something to consider. Mm. Uh, so, con- but converting was not a simple process, as I understand it. So I can imagine no. that. Um, there, actually, there weren't that many. Like, I guess there was a uh, Virtual On oratorio Tangram, which was a yeah. really great conversion. But a lot mm. of the Model Two conversions we saw prior to that were Virtue Fighter Three. At first glance, seemed accurate, but it was missing a lot of small details. The textures were cut back. Yeah, uh, it's not. That was a, a second party one, wasn't it? Yeah, it, was, that, it Genki? was a Genki joint. They did a lot on the Dreamcast, yeah. though. Yeah, um, but overall, I mean the thing that i think separated it is with the graphics chip they used and its support for things such as vga output yeah. which was kind of a game changer at the time yeah uh
0: yeah output options uh is was my next topic and obviously this is a subject close to your heart john um i had rgb scart and mm-hmm. uh, and a nice cathode ray tube i remember going around to see a uh, a friend he had he had a new sony um, trinitron or whatever 32 inch widescreen telly um some some games on dreamcast had 16:9 yep. but a lot of them were still 4:3 um but i remember he had crazy taxi running through it through rgb scart and it just looked sensational it actually inspired me to buy an expensive cathode <laughs> more expensive tv um but yes i was always forever reading as well there were multiple options you could you know out of the box in traditional fashion you've got the cheapest crummiest looking rf modulator probably uh composite signal um and you could yes you could rgb scart it up by paying the extra for a scart lead which is what i did um and then yes the the the, it's just like a legendary thing with with halos and choirs when you say the vga box um I don't know if anyone, apart from John here, had this It's sort of thing that I can imagine Carl might have gone after, but again, it's another expensive add-on, but the results apparently are eye-poppingly good.
2: So, the reason I got into VGA was actually because I had a PC in my room at the time with a nice. VGA monitor, rather than a yeah. television, so it was actually more yeah. convenient. Yeah. Uh, so the system came with a composite video cable, yes. but there is one issue with Dreamcast, I there's a good thing and a bad thing with the video standards. Uh, first of all, the bad thing. I don't know if you guys have run into this, but each of those video output options essentially needs to, needs a little checkmark from the developer in order to trigger it when you boot a game. Right. Uh, unfortunately. Like
0: Street Fighter Zero 3 not having RGB, for instance. So yeah. <laughs>
2: there is a surprising number of games. So every game supports S-Video Composite RF. They all support yep. this. Many games, most games, support VGA, Not all. And there's often workarounds for it, but there are definitely a number. Like, uh, I remember buying Bangayo. Uh, Uh, I couldn't play it. It doesn't work. It it literally doesn't work. It just displays in a small little window in the corner, (laughs) corrupted visuals. It's not right. Mm. But then RGB is especially baffling because a lot of games do not work with RGB SCART. And Mm. they should. There's absolutely no technical reason why they could not. It was literally just developers skipping out on this option especially on american titles where rgb was not really a thing so a lot of american games just do not run at all in this mode uh so that is a problem but on the flip side the support for vga and the progressive scan i believe helped the dreamcast deliver 60 hertz games as basically standard in the in -hmm. europe so Mm -hmm. i mean i was obviously was playing in the u.s but now that i'm in europe uh, here in collecting games and seeing what's out yeah. there, it's clear to me that it was the Dreamcast that really ushered in the age of sixty hertz. Absolutely, and I think yes. that's really important. I mean, uh, that's great stuff that you, you were getting the yeah. same experience across the board. Finally,
0: yeah. So I, I, I was one of those people that uh, that I already had a switch fitted to the back of my Saturn to to flip it flip it up to sixty. I knew that I was playing all these incredible games at uh, this with this horrific uh, speed loss and, and not to mention distorted graphics. Um, the, the Dreamcast came along, and actually, the first wave of games was a mixed bag. So, Power Stone, for example, IDOS got the license for Power Stone in, in PAL territories, and they didn't bother. Oh. They didn't bother putting a 60 Hertz in. Fortunately, sometime down the line, uh, a company called. Uh, future console design released a disc called DCX for Dreamcast, which I'm holding in my hands, and it, will, it enables you to force any game into 60 hertz. So even the ones, it, ones that are completely unoptimized, are just work fully as NTSC games if you flip that uh, flip that switch, kind of in the dashboard, kind of thing. So I still have that to this day for playing Power Stone. Uh, it's the only way to do it. But yes, I remember um, Soul Caliber was mm. the key one. Um, Soul Calibur, if that hadn't had a 60 hertz option, I don't know what, I don't know what, I might have just sold my PAL Dreamcast and imported or something like that, because that would have been a crime. And, I, you know, we'd all play PAL Tekken 3. Yeah, hey that's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'd had enough of that. Uh, so, Ben, Carl, did, did either of you, uh, was this the kind, I know, I know, Carl, you 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 are <laughs> likely to get involved in this kind of stuff, but obviously a VGA box and an adapter, um and and monitor was not necessarily available to everyone
3: no i i did really want one and i did go yeah. out of my way to try and get one and the cost was surprisingly high at the time yeah. and i was a little bit tight on money i also had a pc monitor it was a really nice yamaha um monitor that was like it was ridiculously expensive to be fair and it would yeah. have been beautiful for running this on and i kind of really did want to pair the two and i just couldn't really afford it but i did run it through a high quality RGP SCART, which was the best I could do at the time. Um and when it was played downstairs, uh, my father did have a really nice um Sony Trinitron widescreen, uh like your friend Leon. And yeah, it was it was really nice on there.
2: I I was curious. Um, so the Sega Dreamcast, the Sega manufactured VGA box was actually rather pricey, but a lot yeah. of companies sold clone VGA boxes. That's yeah. actually what I had first and those okay. were relatively inexpensive like 20 to 30 bucks if i recall. Um, I remember do i remember th-
0: that some of them didn't produce quite such vivid results. Um, I think there was some talk of them I
2: ha- having compared them all they're all relatively similar I, I, okay. because but what i found on the clone ones is often things like say the audio connectors are kind of poor and they crackle and there's a few other right. little issues you know, they're just not as well built. Uh, And there might be some slight loss in quality, but it's not that evident. So I mean, at the time, Mm. you know, uh, that was kind of you know that was the way to go, especially because I don't think they sold Sega's official box in stores directly in the U.S. No, it was a mail. No, I don't think they did here
0: either. Yeah, for sure. Yeah ben are you the kind of player i don't know how much we talked about this in the past now obviously you're you're most known for playing um old arcade games on a pc via emulation but are you the kind of guy who will spend the extra money on the nice av cables or do you just plug in the composite and don't care
1: yeah but i bought um for for this and i usually used to at the start like with with earlier consoles would just take what was what was in the box but then when it's like, it's like anything, when you get a bit more disposable cash, you start looking into things. I remember buying a, uh, I bought a, a SCART lead for the PS1 that had yeah. uh, composite cables built into it so I could route it out straight to my stereo. Like, um, yes. And uh, at that point, by the time the Dreamcast came out, I, I bought a similar cable, but I bought a bigger stereo that had like uh, a lot of speakers, almost a little pseudo surround sound setup. And although it wasn't encoded to do that, it was just kind of like loud from all angles. It was still, yeah. kind of, it was still kind of quite cool. Do you know what I mean? It's not like if you played like Crazy Taxi, you could hear stuff in the speaker behind you, behind you. But it just meant there was noise everywhere, which kind of gave that whole kind of bubble of sound, kind of a, kind of effect. So I mean, I liked, I liked like stuff like that. I think more, more expensive stuff. Like you say, I, I had a bit of disposable cash, but I still was a student going out a lot, working at a supermarket. Do you know what I mean? So I was like, it was, a, it was as and when I had enough and buying quite a few games as well and uh, yeah so it games was, always yeah, take pra- precedent of course they do so i mean i was it yeah. was at that point where where like uh, if there was something around that i read about that seemed decent um I'd, I'd maybe pick it up and that that cable that i bought that Scott cable that had the the um the two composites built in was quite cool i think that was as far as i uh, i went crazy with a lot of the peripherals which we'll talk about later uh, but, but uh but yeah that was uh buying that cable with the the composites i remember buying it from game it was one of their own brand ones but it was really good it lasted like well it never broke do you know what i mean so it was a good yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a good solid piece of kit. That
0: yeah. So that brings us to the final output option. Now, uh, John, as I've already said, is is currently uh, kind of ushering back the uh, the era of the CRT uh, with some with some excellent videos on on Digital Foundry Retro, talking about playing actual modern you know high end PC games such as Control on. Uh, lovely you know the kind of monitors that take up half your space uh, half your half your room because they're so deep but actually the idea being that you can crank up all the effects to ultra everything and because you don't need to run it in such a high resolution on a on an old monitor but there's also the option so i'm, I'm going to guess john that you'd probably advocate still the vga over anything but there are these hdmi solutions for modern yes. uh, Panel owners. I did a video on that one. You did April yes. uh, 2019. The DH DCH DMI, DMI.
2: That yeah. is in fact the supreme method for outputting Dreamcast video. Uh, Good it's to know. tremendous. Um yeah. Any other solution that that you might see, like some of those those boxes out there that have like HDMI output capabilities, or especially things like the pound cable, which is just awful. Uh, So the reason the DC HDMI is so good is because they are literally tapping into the legs and the the circuitry on the chips themselves. So they pull directly from the board uh, and then feed it down to a little FPGA, which then sends the video out through the mini HDMI port. So there is no sort of like analog uh, Uh business happening there. It's just a pure digital signal pulled directly off the board. And it supports full integer scaling, so you get, if you output it, say, 1080p, you will get a perfectly quadrupled image from 640 by 480 up to, like, I guess it was 960p, by 960 Perfect. So it's, like, centered right in the middle of a 1080p frame, absolute pixel precision, the clearest I've ever seen. It is actually technically better than what you can get on the VGA. Right uh output sure. so it's an upscale
0: right um so uh for for those who may listen to this podcast and get inspired to uh, dust off their old dreamcast or pick up a second hour one how much would you be looking at to get one of those to plug it into your modern tv
2: display oh uh, yeah so that's kind of the downside of the dc hdmi <laughs> uh it's a bit expensive it's over 100 um okay. it was 150 i had to double check but the main limitation there is that you do actually need to install it directly to the board so it's kind of a mid to upper level soldering job i'd say okay so that rules me out. (laughs) it's not a not a simple thing you'll you'll want if you're not if you're not skilled in the soldering arts you'll definitely Mm want to seek someone out to install it for you but they uh, if you buy it from them those guys they actually have a list of sellers in various countries that they've personally vetted Right, that are experienced with installing DC HDMI. So you can, you know, get in contact with one of those guys, uh, send your system over, they'll install it for you. And the best part is you do not lose analog output. No. So right. you can still use it exactly as you always did. But if you want to use HDMI, you have that as well. And it looks fantastic.
0: Beautiful. I am tempted. Hmm. Might look into that. Uh, audio-wise, Ben's mentioned having uh, having the sound blaring out. So we're at the sort of, this is the, the second round of systems with um well maybe arguably the third, but it's another round of systems with uh, obviously CD capable audio. This is a 64 channel outputting machine, uh some kind of Yamaha chip. Mm-hmm. Um did did any I don't remember any games having any did did any did anyone even kind of do any workarounds as regards to pseudo surround prologic or anything like that, or is it all stereo?
2: I think it's all stereo.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Um, but yes, obviously, uh, your mileage may vary depending on what game you're playing and how much you like the soundtrack. But certainly
2: there were some uh, some memorable soundtracks to enjoy on various Dreamcast yeah, games. Yeah, the Yamaha chip itself, they could, you could do some really nice sort of um, sampled audio on there rather than right. just pre-recorded tracks. So, mm-hmm. You know, games like Shenmue use this. I believe Skies of Arcadia did as well, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons I think it sounded worse on the GameCube. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think they. I. I actually. I need to refresh myself. But if I recall, they used um, sort of sequenced tracks on Dreamcast, and when they converted it to GameCube, they did pre-recorded versions of those tracks. But due to disk space, they reduced yes. the quality. I might be wrong. I need to double check on that. But that's what I. Re- that that's what sense. I remember.
0: Quite a few games had uh, truncated soundtracks on the GameCube yeah, for yeah. obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, which magazines of the time didn't tend to either pick up on or, or mention. Um, but we've come across a few in recent times. Uh, Def Jam, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, Beyond Good and Evil as well. Oh, yeah. We're not here to talk about the GameCube this time. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we have kind of talked about uh, the design of the box. Let's talk about the uh, region, not regional variations, but the limited editions and console variations. Um I don't John well, I know you've got a big old uh, collection of of stuff uh, cuz we we get to see it um have you got any uh multicolored or differently yeah. colored dream cards
2: I do have one of those Sega sports units I also the have black one. yep the black one I have the Sakura Tyson one mhm uh, with all the characters on that pinkish one yep that one Neat. um but then I think those are the only two special editions, and then the rest of my Dreamcasts are all standard variations. But thankfully, all of them are still pure white. So, Uh, zero yellow uh, Dreamcasts here. (laughs) I'm also borrowing, uh, uh, for the moment, I helped fix um, a friend of mine, CVX Freak, if you know Alex and Neil. Uh, He's joined (laughs) me on Digital Foundry. Before yeah, yeah. he uh, has the really Resident good. Evil Code Veronica Dreamcast that he brought over, oh, yes. signed by a lot of the original developers, and it's that sort of transparent red color. Be- that was beautiful the only system. one I really lusted after. Yeah, I think. yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> love that thing. Uh, I'm not sure how many of these actually came to European shores, uh, and I can't imagine Ben or Carl going after the Hello Kitty blue one particularly. <laughs> um, maybe importing <laughs> the the orange one with Seaman on it. Uh, Did any of these ever catch your eye in a magazine or anything?
3: I always quite like the look of the orange one uh, and the clear blue one. Unfortunately, yeah. um, I was stuck to basic white. Yeah, if you
0: could have one custom design, Ben, I know you've, you've, you, you, you're a man, you like a design. You've got a uh, Super Nintendo sleeve of yeah, your own. I have indeed, yeah. What uh, would you have on your, your Dreamcast? A custom of, one Dreams? with Anathin on.
1: Yeah. Anathin. Uh, yeah. Princess Primpren. Who else?
0: Oh, okay. Fair <laughs> there enough. you go. Even though, even though she never appeared on, doesn't the...
1: matter. She'd appear on okay. mine. Do you know what I mean? Okay. And that's Fair all enough. that matters.
0: <laughs> um, what about this one? That was. It looks like the head of a Merolian from Space Channel 5. It's like a hybrid system:
2: Dreamcast uh, and a monitor. The, the Divers one. Yeah. Yeah, that thing. Um, that's a rather rare variant. It's yeah. actually a CRT with a Dreamcast built in, I believe. Yes. Uh, the yeah. problem with so. It is desirable from the collector's point of view, but uh, the actual image quality, it's just composite video. So despite right. the fact that the Dreamcast is built yeah. into the unit, the actual video quality is not exceptional. Classic. Uh, at the very <laughs> least, I would have hoped for something like S-Video, but I can yeah. understand why you wouldn't have VGA, because it's not compatible with every game. Sure. Can't really yeah. sell a unit that doesn't play every game, so. Nope. Yeah, no. but it's a cool-looking little thing. I, I Well, big
0: thing, actually. <laughs> yes yeah it's quite chunky but yes if you had an infinite amount of money and space that's definitely something you could i can i can imagine it hanging up in the corner of a room from a wall mount something like that oh yeah Uh, (laughs) uh, so yeah you could go online this was the first thing i had that could this was the first device machine of any kind that i owned that i could get online with um we'll probably park that there uh i suspect that was the case for a lot of Young men, um, but the yeah. Sega Net and the Tree Marina allowed you to go on the internet, albeit slowly, um, and download pictures of whatever you like, line by line by line. Uh, and you had to—I uh, had to. Uh, this was—I so was in my mid-twenties. Um, I had to pull the landline uh out of the wall, the the telephone uh, in in one room at least, and plug the uh, the dreamcast in and then you had to dial up and you got the noises and uh i think yeah i think you got the noises through the through the dreamcast or at least some of them and you also had to watch your phone bill um because unless you got a special tariff with somebody um it was like a penny a minute and you had to make sure it was after 6 p.m in the evening to make sure it was off peak and all that so it was but yeah it this was this was going on forums and this was the start of yeah understanding online culture so obviously a lot of people did already have pcs but for me and i suspect quite a few others this was a cheap way of finally getting online i bought a keyboard
1: <laughs> a yeah mouth. same yeah same it was that it was that you say about the funny thing is right you say about like the phone bills and stuff like that so like i imagine if you're in the uk most people at that point were still getting quarterly phone bills absolutely like so <laughs> I uh, was at that point where there wasn't any other um, phone package like options in terms of like uh, uh, like so like now you'd get just get unlimited data, wouldn't you? But I mean, like there wasn't yeah. that wasn't a thing. So I was like, right, um, this was a phone call. You yeah, were making ex- a phone exactly, call to yeah. computers so, in space. Yeah. So I was just like, I looked at it logically, and uh, my because um, I did obviously mine was in my uh, my bedroom, and my dad drilled a, uh, I bought a cheaper landline. And my dad drilled the cable up through and put it up put a cable up in my room so i could just connect to it and then obviously awesome. you have the inevitable like somebody like you'd be in the middle of something <laughs> like playing something and somebody'd be like i need i need to use the phone so yes. i'd have to like for that happened but with the actual money side of it right i got to the point where i put a, uh, a i had an empty like it was not long after christmas one year and i had an empty jar of like uh, celebrations and i took the top off and i was like right <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm only gonna put, go online when i've got some kind of money to kind of pay for it so like uh so literally if i had like like two quid i'd be like right that's about like i'd work out like i'd be about like three hours or something so <laughs> i did that but it, that that kind of thing happened the, the catalyst and we'll talk about those different games but the catalyst for me doing that and getting online was fantasy star online so like um that happened at, at a point where as soon as i got online i was online all the time but i just like were like an absolute trooper and i can't believe how disciplined i was considering i was like 20 and very irresponsible was mm. like i never went online unless i put money in that jar and uh we got a uh we got a phone bill one quarter which then they were usually about 60 quid 70 quid and it was 425 pounds yeah. right? <laughs> and uh my oh. mum came upstairs my mum came upstairs and she was like right this phone bill's turned up it's 425 quid i was like all right and she said uh 345 quid or 350 quid of it's yours and i was mm. like fair enough she said what are you going to do and i said it's all in there and literally right she tipped the whole thing out and counted it and it was there it up to, i was out by about like i think there was a bit too much and there was about a quid too much in. she gave me back That's as well amazing. she said that quid's yours i was like fantastic awesome. but yeah, yeah there was 300 there was over 350 quid in pound coins um Oof. and 20ps and the occasional time when I would come in from a night out, hammered, and stuck a tenner yeah. in there, and I had no memory of where it was or anything. Do you know what I mean? What
0: good lad you are! So
1: yeah, well, do you know what I mean? Imagine if I didn't have that; it would have been terrible. Yes. but yeah, yeah I remember near the fact the phone bill was going to come up. I remember thinking, "God, there's a lot of money in there." But then I was like, "Well, I played get, a lot of fantasy stuff. Better Star get the and... grind to level one hundred. Like no, <laughs> another ten quid in. <laughs> it kind of feels
2: like a a story you might read today, where you see those reports of, "Oh no, my kid spent like." a uh, thousand bucks playing a mobile yeah. game yeah three grand <laughs> yeah. on
1: fifa or something yeah exactly yeah. it's ridiculous isn't it yeah, they, they, yeah. even then 20 year old do you know what i mean makeup wearing borderline alcoholic ben wasn't getting done with that yeah like i was <laughs> i was kind of one step ahead with that
0: the good thing was though because uh, unlike with an itemized phone bill uh where your parents would be able to see if what kind of phone lines you've been phoning it just all came up as you know whatever sega
1: internet or something exactly so, it was just a phone so it, number one it? it was like oh wait whatever yeah. it was that's right yeah it so might as didn't well have turned up your house a in a box off. mark sports equipment do you know what i mean like, uh, yeah
0: <laughs> plain brown phone that's it yeah just, a, yeah just a jiffy bag mate
1: <laughs> that's all it is uh
0: yeah i i expect there are other stories obviously perhaps the younger kids wouldn't have been going online but i suspect there are tales out there of Obviously, we still hear it today and I have this frustrating to and fro with sort of uh, colleagues, parents who are younger than me, where they'll be one minute, they'll be saying how how much they loved video games. They were when they were a kid, when they hear what I do, podcasting and stuff. And then they'll be saying, oh, but I can't get my kid off. Fortnite It's the worst thing. It's turning them all evil. <laughs> you know, it's like, you, can't you make this to the, you know, understand the connection that actually, you know, you had you played video games and it was fine. I wonder if there are a few. Uh, cautionary tales of uh yeah like uh, the early days of those news stories yeah exactly like um, massive phone bill racked up by um yeah fantasy star online or choo-choo rocket <laughs> addict or something like that <laughs> uh, i'm sure it happened so the games came on gd roms this was a uh a proprietary format um they could the dreamcast would also recognize CDs and play music i think it had a music player the the front end isn't much to talk about really it's kind of a slightly more graphically interesting thing than maybe the ps1s it had
2: it was actually a step back from the sega saturn if you recall it was it you know, had yeah. the whole like music great. you could mess with the pitch and it had the all the, the, the visualization spaceship. with space yeah. and yeah, yeah it was weird it was a step down but you know it kind of fit the aesthetic um, it could also play those mini
0: CDs. It has a little dip in the middle of the tray. But games, I think, all exclusively came on these GD-ROMs, which I think capacity-wise fell somewhere between
2: a CD and a DVD. Uh, they were just over, I think it was like, if I recall, around 1.2 gigabytes, maybe a little bit yeah. less, something like that. But the uh, it also supported the Music Interactive Live CD, or the Mill oh. CD. Are you familiar with Ooh. that one? No. That was sort of a, it's a music CD with multimedia functions. So you right. could have like menus and some internet features and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. That was, of course, the loophole that allowed for piracy. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, yeah. So that ended up, thats that feature is removed from later systems, which means that I think right. on late generation systems, you can't use any sort of normal CD with it at all.
0: hmm So, yeah, let's uh, think about some of the strengths and weaknesses. These are both in terms of the machine itself and and the wider world and why it should have been, why people love it and why it should have been a massive success and then ultimately why it wasn't. Um, And obviously the first thing for for those of us who were invested in video gaming already, it was the first next-gen console to market, high resolutions, high frame rates, astonishing, just the best graphics that we'd seen up to this point. I mean, it was... I remember showing it to my PS1-owning friends at the time, and the the uh, adjective, that these people were not au okay fait with frame rates and poly counts and, and all that, but it was smooth. They all used to say, oh, it looks so smooth, and they were talking about both the higher resolutions
2: and the superior frame rates, I think. It was smooth, and in fact, it was comparable to the best in the arcade at that moment, which was the Sega Model 3. Yeah, and this was also a time when uh the console still had kind of a noticeable advantage over the PC in certain areas, so you really didn't see PC games with some of the the polish and the higher polygon counts and fluidity that you were getting in these console games. And yeah. I know because I built a high end PC from 1999 just this year. Yes. and you're not <laughs> uh you're not getting Dreamcast level visuals on a PC from no. that era. It's just not it's not happening. So the Dreamcast was really genuinely a step up from other machines and it really brought home sort of arcade quality visuals. This was kind of like the last time I think that arcade quality visuals were even like a thing that mattered. Yeah. (laughs) But it did and it did it really well. And I remember this was the the time that where
0: I was, um, I'd done this with PS one a few years before, but the, you know, the novelty had worn off and the, and the state of the art had moved on. But the Dreamcast. I just remember leaving the Soul Calibur uh, yeah. demo on, just rolling, just just like oh, yeah. with my jaw dropping. Yeah, just like how how is this running on a little white box in front of my TV?
3: I think that was exactly it, wasn't it? When you saw something like Soul Calibur, and you couldn't necessarily even compare it to something that you'd really seen anywhere. It it was so ridiculously smooth, um, and it was the sort of that it was the fighter catters and i would do the same thing I'd, I'd watch yeah. them all and you know i i had i actually had a friend come from a few towns over um on the train and and, and a bus just to come and watch what i'd been talking about uh yeah. to see it sort of firsthand that this was actually possible um it just absolutely it blew me away um particularly yeah it was soul Calibur was the one that always comes to mind when i think about the showcase for the console yeah.
0: Uh, and I it's another one I know that John's covered, but it's it's the the arcade better where they actually went back to this arcade machine from a couple of years before and souped it up in every way, higher polygons, higher frame rate, everything is is just you know, and they and they
2: rebalanced it and tweaked the. Well, actually, just... it was the same frame rate. So the oh, the, the arcade version was thirty. The... So the arcade oh, okay. version of Soul Caliber was sixty frames per second. But oh, okay. Soul Edge and Slash Blade, <laughs> right? The arcade sure. that was thirty.
0: Ah, oh, I played Soul. I played the arcade machine of Soul Calibur recently, and it it looked no, lower frames. It is but definitely it, sixty frames per second. My, just my brain or eyes, um, but yes, they still rega- okay. They didn't up the frame rate, but they did improve oh, the, yeah, everything else. <laughs> everything else, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, textures and and animation and whatever else. Yeah. Um. So yeah, obviously, again, um, we we will no doubt cover. Uh, the other consoles, we have we have done a special on the PS1, but the Saturn and the N64, um, talking about the visuals on those machines. Um, obviously, the Saturn was actually far better used by most developers as a 2D machine. Um, and the Dreamcast went on to have a whole ton of amazing 2D games as well. But in terms of uh, comparing Sega's previous-gen polygon, polygonal 3D games to the Dreamcast, it was night and day especially yeah, going from something like late gen like Burning Rangers by Sonic Team where mm. it was it was such a cool concept and such a cool game in many ways but the visuals were kind of broken and a bit of a mess because of it was just yeah it was just too ambitious oh, yeah. and um it then immediately to go to something like Jet Set Radio or or something like that from or Crazy Taxi from Sega's m- main studios and it was just like yeah okay they they realized <laughs> They realised that's where that's the direction they needed to go, but I guess they thought at that point that that would be enough um, to, along with this, yeah, this really strong library, first party especially, but also a number of third-party killer apps. I, what I thought were absolutely were killer apps, things like Power Stone and Soul Calibur, um, and I'm sure there were others as well. Um, but it didn't seem to be enough to persuade most of my more casual gaming friends to not wait for the ps2
2: that's an interesting point actually because uh in the circle of friends i had at the time somehow all of us got into the dreamcast in a big way right like everybody had dreamcast we were really really into playing it the summer of 2000 especially was like Mm. the moment when it was just we're meeting up and playing multiplayer dreamcast games like crazy power stone 2 uh, you know, Choo Choo yeah. Rocket, of course, and just marveling at the weirdness of things like Seaman yeah. <laughs> and various things like that. You know, it was it was a great time. Yeah, uh, but yes, obviously the nine under ten million sales—that was probably slightly anom- anomalous. You're, you're not wrong. I've always thought about it, though. It seems to me that if the Dreamcast had continued, it wasn't—it was doing all right. It was more like yeah. Sega ran out of money. Essentially, yeah, things were just yeah. working against them, so they couldn't continue to support it. But I think it could have mm. held on as a reasonably successful
0: machine, and it did in Japan. There were releases in until two thousand and seven in Japan, which is uh, astonishing, really. Oh yeah, online play. So I've put this down as a you know a plus, but actually I wonder if maybe the console gaming world wasn't ready for it obviously online pc gaming had already been around a while but the again among friends i just didn't get the sense that 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 was something that was really like a strong desire and obviously ben you spent you know 400 pounds a quarter on (laughs) (laughs) fantasy star online um obviously you know you were a game infused human being um but do you remember I, you must have like me had mates who were kind of they played games but they weren't like invested in the same way and was there was there a hankering for playing other people around the world up to six billion players did that resonate with people you knew
1: yeah it was like i was it obviously like i say i was it was at university at the time and uh there was a small kind of clique of us maybe four or five who were probably seriously into it do you know what i mean and like uh A lot of them had like uh, satins, do you know what I mean? And like just stuff where you knew that that it was kind of off the beaten track a little bit. Um, like most other people who you'd speak to, or I spoke to at the time about games, like were like I say, if there were more, uh, uh, kind of I hate using the term casual, but casual, uh, then they would just either have a PS One and maybe that was it. Do you know what I mean? I think Mm. it was at that point where, like we talk you talk about kind of the cost and stuff but it went kind of as you when you go through the peripherals it it inevitably went kind of further than that and people i spoke to were sort of on the kind of fringe of it all like we're we're, we're like a bit a bit into games maybe a bit more than just having a ps1 and a few games like always the 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 conversation was came back to the same thing of well i'd buy it but then i'd have to buy this and i'd have to buy that and do you know what i mean and as much as that's true with a lot of uh, a lot of consoles, I think that um, if that initial that initial kind of outlay was all inclusive and you didn't really have to get too much other stuff, I think they would have had a lot more people. But I think mm. I remember like it it taking me ages to have like f- I d- yeah four controllers and a load of VMUs and a load of other stuff. I remember like it just yeah just having to kind of build that up because official controllers were obviously quite expensive and VMUs were mm. quite expensive, do you know what I mean? So it was like, it was just, it, it took kind of quite a, a bit of time. And I think that put quite a few people off. And and mm. I just think as well, like you say, like if, if it's not as much of a, a priority for people, like I couldn't, I, I couldn't explain, like people had said, like I'd, I'd, go to university, like having like for a lecture in the morning, I haven't gone to bed at like five in the morning. Cause I've been up all night playing Fantasy Star Online. Mm-hmm. I couldn't explain to people. Do you know what I mean? I'd be like, oh, I've been playing this game online and like uh, this adventure game. So you play from people all over the world and they just look at you like you've gone out. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> at that point. And I just yeah. couldn't like, uh, even people who are sort of into games looked at it and thought that that was a bit ridiculous. Like, I think that that was always kind of the, it's that kind of barrier, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's that, like, it's, it's it's that kind of next kind of step. And I think unluckily enough for, for Sega, like I think a, a bigger portion didn't take that step then they would have needed to take that step
0: famously or or anecdotally at least um but yeah i think the 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 uh the research backs it up many many people uh one of the reasons that the ps2 was was so big um even if it didn't get off to the quickest start despite it being the successor to the you know the ubiquitous playstation was the dvd player that's massive even though the codec in the launch ps2 for dvds was pretty crummy it was it wasn't particularly nice playback but DVD players were really expensive at this point so people could buy a a DVD player and the new games console all in one. I wonder if, um, I don't know if it was ever even a possibility or an option but if, if Sega had gone with DVD functionality rather than online functionality maybe the Dreamcast would have got a foothold on the market quicker uh
2: i mean um, i don't think that was even like a technical possibility like an add-on right. drive could have been possible but mm-hmm. dvd Those don't tend to work no uh commercially but, uh, as as a console released in 1998 i mean dvd was just so early and it's i think true. that would have massively jacked up the cost of the system yeah. and you know it I think it would have been kind of a crazy gamble, and I don't think it would have had the same impact, especially because Sega does not have uh, that sort of, like, media heritage that Sony does, Yes, where it's like, oh, yeah. well, Sony's doing DVD, cool, where it's like, yeah, Sega's doing DVD? Why? Yeah, You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. the same reason I kind of feel like Nintendo never really took that route with their systems. Yeah, certainly like, didn't. it just doesn't yeah. necessarily make sense, so, I mean... Sega did show off things like their MP3 player. They showed off the zip drive. I mean, they had all kinds of ideas, but Mm. they never really came to fruition. Mm. Another in the
0: plus column, we mentioned it earlier, is the Naomi arcade board. So this actually follows up from the Saturn in the sense that there was the STV board and we got some incredible kind of one-to-one versions of Deck Athlete uh, um, or Athlete Kings and, and Radiant Silver Gun and stuff. But here we've got, an even higher end arcade board and
2: yeah, that's an interesting one because you know, the STV board you're right, but the STV board was also very underpowered compared to Mm. Sega's other arcade hardware at the time. Yes. Where Naomi basically became a new platform like, okay, this is our arcade platform going forward. We will, this is, you know, cutting edge. Our games will be developed for this. Mm. Uh, and it's basically the same as the Dreamcast console. There, there's some subtle differences, but they're very, very similar. So it was kind of like almost, I the best comparison point would be like Nintendo with the Switch. We're like, okay, now our handheld and console developers are all working yeah. on one platform.
1: Yeah, the same here. Right. It's
2: like, okay, our arcade and home consoles, they are basically the same. Everybody's making for the same hardware. Let's do mm. this. And mm. it was a great idea. But uh and it did actually pay off pretty well. There was a lot of great Naomi conversions. Ah yeah. So yeah. And the Naomi kind of outlived. And you know, there was some variants. Naomi 2 obviously existed. There was uh the I think it was the Hikaru board, which was more powerful. Mm. You know, stuff like Brave yeah. Firefighters and, and Planet Harriers used some slightly more advanced versions, but it was all derived from that.
0: Still never still gutted that we never got Planet Harriers. Dreamcast of course oh um, yeah <laughs> but yeah I, and again like I again, it was hugely exciting to me I was still although the arcades were on the wane, in, in terms of somewhere I spent a huge amount of time and you know all the latest machines weren't necessarily even coming to the arcades and there were fewer arcades it was still a big deal for me but I suppose again to those friends of mine thinking about why the Dreamcast didn't break out to more than the, the hardcore a this was a bit of a niche concern. These kind, you know, these these particular kind of experiences—arcade games, fighting games, shoot 'em ups—in some cases and things like that—they weren't necessarily the games that uh, that the people who wanted to play. Um, I mean, it wasn't Call of Duty then, because that uh, had, didn't even exist. But um, you know, FIFA or, or whatever the the latest biggest thing was at this point. On the downside, well, I've got one that uh, we've talked about it a little already, but I, I just wasn't even sure. Is it is it a pro or a con to the system, the Windows C thing, or does it balance out,
2: in your opinion? I think it was an interesting initiative, and it probably allowed developers specifically that had worked on the PC platform to more easily jump into the Dreamcast. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think some of the coding requirements and the, you know, working on the hardware with Sega's internal libraries, it's a slightly higher sort of thing to get over so to speak so it's it, it, it would require more work is my guess whereas mm-hmm. okay i already have this direct x game running in windows uh it's a, probably going to be easier to use the windows ce libraries to bring it to a console but obviously you're running into more performance issues there and also also pc games tend to be very heavy on ram usage and disc usage and yeah. that is actually one of the reasons why even without windows ce a lot of PC to Dreamcast ports did not turn mm. out very well. Yeah, because the hardware wasn't really. There was bottlenecks in areas where PCs were not bottlenecked that made it pretty tricky. And I actually have, and that as another uh, sort of in the the negatives
0: column for the Dreamcast, as well as that you know stellar but relatively slight lineup of amazing stuff from particularly from Japanese arcade developers and, and Sega themselves, of course. But it always felt to me like there was a lot of lazy ports and shovelware on the Dreamcast uh, just kind of cluttering up the shelves with their bad covers and lazy, unoptimized conversions of other consoles and things like that, Um, and I don't think that I mean, obviously it doesn't kill a console because look at the Wii and the PS2 they both did gangbusters with that stuff but do you think that could have sort of um, just tarnished the image in the eyes of some?
2: Um, I mean, from my perspective, I'm not sure it really hurt because mm. there was plenty, but I don't think there was that many, so to speak. Uh, other systems, the PlayStation had already, you know, they've shown that you can succeed with tons of shovelware, and there was a <laughs> lot on the original PlayStation.
0: And the more su- the more you succeed, the more you get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: So the Dreamcast wasn't too bad in that regard, but there were, I you know, I don't think any of this kind of stuff contributed to its failure per se, but it is possible that you could pick up a conversion of a game that sounded interesting and maybe be very disappointed. I mean, I feel bad for anyone that purchased the Dreamcast version of Soldier of Fortune, for instance. (laughs) (laughs) One of the most legendarily uh, poor conversions out there with its nice minute-long loading screens divided up every level that was a single level on PCs divided up to like four or five, each Mm. with a very long loading screen, not to mention the performance. So, yeah those ki- those types of conversions may have been bad for the Dreamcast's image in the sense that you know you think you're getting oh okay I'll get this PC game on here and it's terrible yeah for sure uh,
0: and as is a an off-cited example of a thing that contributes to a console's downfall is a lack of support from some of the biggest publishers and EA
2: in this case uh,
0: didn't Make any FIFA's.
2: I have an interesting thing about that. I do know Mm. that EA had two games in development for Dreamcast, including SSX. Ah, SSX started life on Dreamcast, but in reality, from what I understand, um, EA was almost using this early development as sort of a bargaining chip with Sony to improve their rates there. (laughs) So it wasn't Mm. necessarily the case that they were ever truly going to support it but they definitely had Dreamcast in-house. They were yeah. working on Dreamcast games, and obviously SSX became a very big PS2 title. Um, but yeah, I mean, it kind of seems to have started life on the old Sega Dreamcast. That's interesting,
0: yeah. Again, it's just thinking about the the non-kind of fully engaged, the, the, the more, quotes, casual gamers who are looking for certain labels and identifiable IPs on their boxes, and the lack of Stuff from yeah, people like EA, I think, is I probably think, a, yeah. a contributing factor for sure. I agree. Uh, a few little sort of negatives just on once you've actually got one. I mean, uh, well, I suppose another one that potentially had an impact, although, again, other successful machines have had piracy. But uh, you mentioned, John, that loopholes were found and it became very common to find uh, people with who did have Dreamcasts with stacks of uh hooky games obviously uh we this comes back to the amiga special with uh with specialist pirate ben and uh <laughs> and his 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 ill-gotten uh his ill-gotten games um you were such a you were so good ben with your uh with your phone bill um but were you as good about buying games or did you find a uh, a resource for illegals
1: no i had them um, i had to kind of uh, money then so it wasn't really an issue um, Yeah. what well, I did have randomly though and I think like I can't remember one of the various very various conversations we've had about this topic I remember um, a, a a guy my brother worked with uh, bought him these three like uh, these three Dreamcast discs home and they contained uh, every Mega Drive game ever what's it ever ever, like, ever created like an, these the emulation discs yes. and uh, you could they'd save to the VMU as well um, hmm. So that was where, like, I first did the uh, uh, Shining Force, Shining Force Two, because I had a Snes. Obviously, and missed out on all those Mega Drive role play games. Right. Okay. So in my kind of like nineteen, like nineteen twenty, like when when that disc turned up, yeah, uh, me and my good friend Rez, hmm. we did Shining Force One, Shining Force Two, uh, Fancy Star Three and Four. Do you know what I mean? There was a lot of stuff then uh, that hmm. we kind of uh, we kind of played through, and and uh, that was strange, but incredible at the same time but in terms of actual uh pirated kind of a uh, kind of pirate games no like it was i don't know like there was a real because there wasn't like an, an obvious like let like you say there was maybe four or five of us who were dead into kind of the, the, the kind of the dreamcast like we all really wanted to kind of support it do you know what i mean so we all made yeah. a point of buying a lot of games and buying and like yeah. and because and, and we kind of you feel from the start do you know what i mean like like as, as a bit of a it's, it's like I don't know it's it's like going to see a local band and then illegally downloading all the music it's like you wouldn't do it do you know what I mean it kind of felt <laughs> well, like well you had, wouldn't it kind of I wouldn't. well I have done before Some people but would. that's a different story well, okay. but no but like if <laughs> there was kind you of You feel a, bad about it yeah for a bit um <laughs> there was that kind of there was that kind of a uh, that like vibe to it do you know what I mean that kind of outsider I suppose kind of kind of Shake to the four or five of us and we just kind of yeah. prided ourselves on the fact that we were just kind of buying all these uh, buying all these various games in the the grim hope that we could uh, somehow somehow keep it going
0: i mean i think it would have been even more rife uh, if the machine had been <laughs> bigger like obviously ps2 games uh you know you could uh, you get those pirated but actually in this case you didn't even need a modded machine right no. you could play you could just play dreamcast pirates just by whacking them in a, a standard console. I guess that's to do with that loophole you mentioned, John.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, the VMU battery life. So as well as that wonderful Sakamoto jingle um, that you heard whenever you've powered up your Dreamcast, there were a couple of other things you heard <laughs> normally. Uh, <laughs> one of which was a super high pitched and piercing squeal from the V from the VMU. Um to tell you that your latest two times CR2032 lithium cells had died, expired, because they didn't last very long and they weren't cheap. Um, so I've got three VMUs, I think, to this day. They've all got two dead batteries in them. <laughs> and so I know that whenever I turn on my Dreamcast or insert a VMU, I'm going to get that noise. I I'm I never replace them now just because you know they're just going
2: to die again. <laughs> so did you guys never do the uh, the tab trick thing? so when you would buy a VMU at the store it had this little plastic tab in the back it's a pull here and it would essentially allow the battery then to connect to the terminal Uh, but if you insert that tab again you block that connection right it cuts the battery so Um, as long as you left that tab in your batteries would not drain so basically when I was using the Dreamcast I would always leave those tabs in the VMU and if I actually wanted to use the VMU for whatever reason (laughs) uh, you just pull it out I wish yep. you told me that 20 years ago. But unfortunately, <laughs> that does not stop the high-pitch sound. So no. in my head, that's just like, that's part of the Dreamcast experience <laughs> yeah.
3: now. I feel, I feel like I had one over on most people there. Um, my dad being an electrician and stuff and dealing with this kind of nonsense all the time, he was like, put that tab back in. That's so great. It <laughs> <laughs> just, just extended the battery. And it did. I only ever had to change them once. Yep. It was it's just
0: such a juxtaposition with that lovely restful dream like sort of swirling noise and then but you've got it contrasting against the the urgent sounds of sound of a tamagotchi dying or whatever. Um And the machine itself, uh, I guess it didn't seem to bother me at the time. And I guess it was just because look at those graphics. Obviously, this machine's going to be a bit noisier than consoles I've had before. But John was saying uh, he was playing on Dreamcast before we recorded, getting into the mood. And he said, well, I would leave it on while we're recording, but it's really loud. (laughs) So it's not the quietest machine. Um, It's probably I guess you can clean it out and get it down a bit, but it's, it's got fans and, uh, quite a, quite a motor sounding drive.
2: And yeah, I mean, when they're new and fully restored, uh, it does improve it a little bit, but they were never not loud and it does sort of vary between units. So, um, it's hard to get a completely silent Dreamcast. The only way to do it now is if, you know, you replace the GD-ROM drive with one of the SD card readers, you put in a new power okay. supply uh you change out the fan i mean there's a, there's <laughs> things you can do to make it quiet and lighter uh but with short of doing that a stock dreamcast is just going to be kind of loud mm. but yeah. as we said probably not quite ps4 full of dust loud it's not it's not like a no, jet plane taking no, off nothing no. is that loud well actually <laughs> i uh the original fat ps3 those things
3: oh yes i actually that still was-
2: have one of the test units here uh, uh and that thing gets so loud it's uh it's quite shocking <laughs> maybe maybe this is
0: a future video uh, a decibel recording for every uh, every <laughs> console, console fr- from history <laughs> um and talking of ps4s overheating mm. uh, this was something that uh came up i only started to become aware of this probably in the mid 2000s because i think it was something to do with degradation of um maybe a the thermal paste or something or, or some particular component getting weaker but um, Dreamcasts start resetting themselves after they when they get too hot at a certain point.
2: That can happen. I've never actually run into that, but yeah, I mean, I guess dried up thermal paste might make things worse, and various other issues can cause that, and that's one of many random technical issues that can happen to Even a Dreamcast, but yeah.
0: Anything with moving parts, but, um, yeah. but yeah. Definitely worth, it. again, like, I'd I, I just quite like, To send mine off to some dude, some clever dude, to do the entire refurb, like put that uh, HDMI thing on it and make make it white white again. (laughs) Pico power supply in there. Yeah, and yeah, do the whole lot.
3: The power supply is an interesting thing because that's not on the list here as a negative point, but both uh, mine and at least two other people that come immediately to mind all had to get their power supplies replaced. Oh, I didn't their, know that. On their Dreamcast.
2: I'm still on my first one. I didn't know that. Then
3: I, I handed it into uh, Chips in in Redcar back when that was a place, and mm. it was fantastic because it used to import games, and they had a whole stack of them, and apparently there was um, a batch oh. around a certain time where they did not have the best quality power supplies. Oh, okay. It had to be sent off, and they had to go and replace mm. it with a new one. And it was fantastic from when I got it back; like it, there was never another problem with it. But it it was a, a sort of a known problem.
2: Maybe that was an issue with the power version because that would have mm. had a different power supply. Yeah, yeah obviously, well because
3: I don't recall that issue at
0: all. No, I just remember being pleased that it was it was just a uh, a bog standard kettle lead. Yeah. Um. Or, or no, you the small
2: yeah the small two small figure eight yeah. Thing. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, before we move on, though, speaking of mm. pow, I do have to, uh, as someone that collects games, I mostly have yeah. U.S. and Japanese games, but yes. I do have a few pow games, and the cases are terrible. Yes. <laughs> they are <laughs> terrible.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got a couple here. The hinges, right? It's all about the <laughs> they're so the, fragile. The, these are more. These are like I'm almost afraid to hold them now. They're so I mean, brittle,
2: and they would crack from looking at them. <laughs> yeah, they would. Yeah. They're, they're kind of cool looking. I like the idea. It's yeah. just they look uh, fantastic. Yeah, they're just super fragile.
0: <laughs> yeah, they feel quite nice to open until all the hinges break. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You got you got a double double opening, um, and the back the back holds your manual or a second disc if if a game has it. Something the size of Shenmue um but yeah no every time the amount of i've got very few left with actual working hinges on um but yeah in in US and Japan they just had standard yeah prices, now yeah.
2: before i th- forget about this though i don't know if you guys were aware of this but uh in the US specifically they rebranded everything after about a year okay so when the dreamcast launched the US cases it's a, sort of a white aesthetic with like an mm. orange triangle around the manual and yeah. i guess in the summer of 2000 I think Echo of the Dolphin was the first game that I bought where this changed. They shifted to a black theme instead. Oh, so all of, wow. you know you know how you would have like like Dreamcast or PlayStation or something yeah. written on the side of the manual and the case, and basically the whole aesthetic changed. It became black and orange, hmm. uh, and the whole look of the cases and the styling changed. And as a result, hmm. there's this point where in your Dreamcast collection, all the cases change. So yeah. all the spines same Mega Drive isn't it and it's very uh all. yeah exactly it's that same kind of thing but it was very weird because the Dreamcast had such a short life. Yeah. And they just yeah. like it was like 2 years and they managed to reprint it within that yeah. one small window. <laughs> Try anything. Try anything. <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. It's the white that's what's driving people away make yeah. them black. Switch it's to actually, black.
0: <laughs> and now you mention it I I have se- I've seen plenty of US Dreamcast cases but I'd never actually clocked that there was a like a a shift because it was always so stark and striking with the Mega Drive ones or Genesis where they went from the you know the the cross hatch black yeah. to the to the bubbly blue um and but, you get to see that in absolute on the on the Mega Drive mini you can see that right right there in front of you that
2: happened now. in the US as well when with the Genesis yeah. cases yeah. where you know they went red and even in Japan they there was a point where they had sort of the blue colors it, they love to do that for for whatever reason. Whatever <laughs> reason, yeah. Just
0: to, I guess, just to make people notice them again somehow. Just to not walk past them. Um, well,
2: but what do you guys think? Do you think the Dreamcast PAL cases were worse than the Sega Saturn <laughs> PAL cases? Oh God, because those um, were also equally was terrible. Yeah, the
0: cardboardy ones. They, <laughs> yeah, l- later <laughs> they never in the sat- right. Later in the Saturn's life, they even in power, we ended up with fully plastic cases, which is obviously a bad, bad thing for other reasons now. We're 20 years down the line and the world's being swamped in plastic. But back then it seemed like... Uh uh, now we're probably heading back the other way, as we uh, I know Football Manager Sports Interactive is going to be using some properly biodegradable, sustainable packaging. Hmm. Um, but yeah, those those cardboard satin packages just went. They were hideous. They were gross. Yeah. And then when you open <laughs> so, when
2: you open them, the manual just falls out. Falls out. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah I still bad, uh, bad cases do the the honestly the drive you mad. I, I hated the <laughs> fact that even the PlayStation One would change up its style of case. Like at least have consistency. But in terms of actual look and appeal, the Pal Dreamcast cases they were nice. are hands down my favourite looking case. Mm. But if the any, plastic ba- that made they of... used was yeah. so, so bad. It was always I mean, to have one that didn't have either a crack in the front or the back or a cracked off hinge mm. was rare. That's how that's that's
1: the sound of it. Yeah. Yeah, you, you were doing well if you bought a second one and something hadn't gone wrong with it. <laughs>
0: I've just broken it. No, I haven't. Um, that's power stone, by the way right uh let's talk briefly about the actual controller design now. suits from the forum says the hardware was decent i thought it looked cool was lovely and compact and had a wonderful pad i really liked the design choice of the wire coming out of the bottom of the pad wrapping back up underneath and clipping into the underside to come out of the top this was clearly to accommodate the vmu and rumble pack which when all plugged in and set up was quite a hefty beast the console was damn loud mine still is the fans were hard and the disk drive is constantly clicking and spinning I think it's one of the loudest consoles ever, to be honest. I recently set it up on my desk next to my PVM and was shocked over how loud the little white box is. The fate of my dreamcast was that the laser began to fail. Uh, I passed it off to a mate of mine who didn't mind messing about with it and t- uh, to get it working. After all, I had my PS2 now. Yeah, laser failure wasn't nearly as much of a thing as it was in the PS1, I would have said. Um, I I thought that wire design was the worst thing about the Dreamcast pad I agree so I, completely I like I like the Sega knights pad the the Satin pad and so it made sense that they'd kind of followed up on that with the Dreamcast pad but the the wire on the knights pad came out the top back which made sense but here I just thought that was
2: really weird well, The choice. knights pad was even better because the for whatever reason it was detachable if you recall
0: Oh, it was, It was yeah, like a little plastic
2: right. thing. You would click it in. You could actually remove it. You could fly that. the pad
0: around like a spaceship. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So you're right. The Dreamcast, I mean, obviously the Dreamcast solution was devised due to the VMU slots. Yes. Uh, It would have been more difficult. I mean, obviously Microsoft kind of figured that out with the Xbox controller, mm. which mm. just has one slot, I guess. Yeah. If I recall. No, wait. Does Xbox, yeah. Is it only one slot or two? I can't remember. Oh, I can't remember. Uh, I, it had, I think it two, is two, actually. Yeah. Both, both
0: for data, though, because yeah, it had Rumble I, built in, didn't I think, it? I think they are. Mm. So, yeah, the, the Dreamcast has the two slots, so you could have Rumble and VMU at the same
2: time. Or micro, microphone and VMU. Microphone, indeed,
0: yeah. Um, but how about the actual pad? I always found it a little, it felt, I, I didn't think it was quite as comfortable or robust feeling as the the Sega, the Saturn analog pad. It was okay. The The... The analogue itself was a bit light and airy.
3: It didn't feel quite as quality coming from the Mega Drive and then the Saturn, which, you know, fantastic D-pads, great feeling on the buttons to use. It felt a little bit more plastic and lightweight, like it wasn't going to uh, last as long. It didn't have that great quality of feel. Mm. Um, It it was fine, and I loved the novelty of it, uh, the way it interacted with the VMU. But yeah. in terms of actual quality, I was. It was one of the things I was disappointed with, particularly after the you know the fantastic Saturn controller.
0: Triggers are a bit flimsy feeling. I mean, yeah. they, they, they they don't they. I'm not. I've not had one break in any way or or go no. out of order, but they just felt a little a little insubstantial somehow to me. I don't think there are any regional variations on the controller at this time, were there?
2: Not really. They're pretty it, much all it's just mm. colors, but yeah. Mm. I mean, for me, really, my main issue with it is the D pad is terrible. Oh, and the, yeah, yeah, of course, terrible D pad,
0: which is a real problem because loads of the games would actually benefit yeah, from it's a such really a nice step controller. down
2: from the Sega Saturn as well. You're right; it that really was what a tremendous yeah. D pad that system had. But then you get to so this, true. and it's just yeah, very and difficult. also well, obviously to use it was you yeah, know,
3: it felt thin, it felt a little sharp. It was it was just a, a, a bit bizarre. It's um, also lacking in
2: buttons. This whole controller. Uh, it just simply can't stop. Like hmm. you think about it, if the, let's say the Dreamcast had survived, and you start getting conversions, and you know, not it's not just PS2, GameCube, and Xbox, but also Dreamcast. Yeah. There are games that came to those systems where even the GameCube controller was not quite suited to handling it due to missing buttons and like stick yeah. clicks. Right, so the Dreamcast was way behind that. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure how it would work. I mean, even first person shooters, you had to use the face buttons to move. Yeah. You would look with the analog stick and then all other actions would have to be either the D-pad or the triggers. And that's six additional inputs and it's like jump, shoot, not a lot. And then it's like okay, I want to open with up on the D-pad. Uh down is like, you know what I mean? It's it mm, gets mm. complicated. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess that <laughs> never became an issue because most of the games that were on it were designed for it, but I suspect actually some of those slightly uh low-grade PC ports we were talking about have probably got some interesting control solutions and issues. There was, of course, the, the version of Half-Life that was apparently completed, but oh, no, yeah. at least you can, the code is out there. Yeah, um yeah. John, you played that, I bet.
2: Yeah, yeah, I did. It was in my Half-Life video. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, I can't judge it yet. It's not, it wasn't completely finished, but it does look and run pretty poorly. Yeah. It plays all right, but yeah. Yeah. The main main problem with that build, though, at least the one that I played, was that every time you would save, the save file would increase in size. So, essentially, you would eventually have a save file that was larger than the capacity of a VMU. Right. And you suddenly couldn't save anymore. So, it wouldn't have shipped that way, of course. But, you know, I think that's a pretty hilarious bug in retrospect. Mm. (laughs) Well, that brings us on a little more VMU chat. Shields
0: again says, instead of being a normal memory card, the Dreamcast had a small little Game Boy style memory card that acted as a second screen built into the controller. It was impressive at first and used quite well in a few games. One of the best examples was UEFA Striker, which used the VMU's screen to switch formations mid-game without having to pause and go to the menu. Neat. It was a neat idea, wasn't it? But um because of the batteries like i remember there were some extra mini games with power stone for example uh some little shoot-em-ups and various other things there was there was your chow's little tamagotchi sonic the hedgehog type creatures that you could download to your vmu and supposedly play away with the little d-pad that was on the vmu but the battery life kind of Put pay to all that, but I did like stuff like the Resident Evil conversions. It would show your health and things like that. So it was again a forward-thinking move, if not an entirely successful one.
2: I got I got to chime in with my favorite thing about the VMU it was uh, yeah, yeah, Virtua Tennis. Mm. Uh, the match was represented on the VMU screen in your controller right. while you played, yeah. and it was a one-to-one match for the actual gameplay happening on the screen, and surprisingly easy to read. I became yeah. very good at just playing off the VMU, <laughs> so. People that were less familiar with Dreamcast <laughs> or not paying attention, I would just challenge them. I was like, "I'll take you on in virtue of tennis," and I'll turn my back to the TV. Uh, <laughs> then, you know, you just look crafty. playing on the VMU, and they're like, "How the heck are you doing this?" <laughs> <laughs> the
0: VMU did not have the uh, the cloud going between the sun and the court effect that the uh, the, no, the actual. No, it was just it. a few lines and stickmen, but <laughs> but it was uh, it was playable. Somebody spent time programming that. Yeah. Any other uh, fond VMU memories, folks, of uh, mini games or uh, use within games? So
3: the uh, Power Stone um, little additional game and the Sonic Adventure Tamagotchi kind of game got me through many science classes in school where I had my back (laughs) to the the teacher. Well, I had the tab, so I put that back in at the end of a lesson. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that got me through many a biology lesson. Uh, (laughs) I always strategically placed my back towards the teacher, so it was fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can't say I played too much, uh, too much of the VMU stuff. I remember my friend who had um was dead into Power Stone and he played like uh, he re- I was at university, so he regularly would bring it into like lectures and stuff. But uh, but yeah, I like um and I remember there was like there was a, there was quite the big range, were not there? There was a lot of there was an awful lot of games that kinda of supported it. But yeah, yeah, I was always kind of uh I don't know, I'm loads better now, but I used to. I went through a phase like at that age of just losing stuff. So I was dead paranoid that I'd just take it out. And then yeah, just, they weren't cheap. No, they weren't. Like were. the other they thing. They were much
0: more expensive than, I mean, that was a downside to them. Uh, I mean, I remember people being, we talked about this on the PlayStation show, some parents being like, oh, I've got to buy a memory card as well. But they were relatively inexpensive. But these were, because of the, the, the extra screen and the you know programming and the D-pad and all that, they cost a bit more money. I think there were even some games, I don't remember all the functionality of all the games, obviously, even even that I had, but I think there were some games where there was actually uh, exclusive content that you could unlock by playing the VMU games and stuff, rather That's than, true. yeah. Um, but yes, uh, it, again, with modern battery tech and, and other things, you could do something, obviously, now. But the weird thing is, yeah, I suppose we effectively have got all this stuff now, in theory, with PlayStation spitting itself out to phones and stuff but we yeah, don't really we insane. don't really care about it anymore do we? So. no
2: i mean even but playstation they had their own if you recall the pocket station yeah that's right. I one of those over here and it's very similar to the vmu Yes. except for it plugs into the memory card port it literally flips up and you can stick it into the memory card port but mm. yeah same concept yeah did that come no after- that did not well i Oh, in terms of timing? I'm fairly yeah. sure that I came after the VMU. Might yeah. have to check. I feel like, at the time at least, I remember thinking, oh, they're just kind of yeah. running with Sega's idea here. But at oh, the sure. same time, all of it was derived from the popularity of like Tamagotchis and whatnot, so yeah, yeah, I can see how swan. two companies might arrive at the exact same idea. Quite possible,
0: yeah. Uh, so other add-ons, uh, there was a vibration pack, because that's how you did Rumble at this point. Uh hmm well, that's how they had done it on the N64. It was a little grey plastic, plastic doobry, very unexciting looking. But I bought one, mainly. Um, I wasn't that fussed about having Rumble on most games, but I did want to whack it in the back of my House of the Dead 2 light gun. Because exactly. Because it, it, yep, yep. then you got arcade-style
2: recoil. <laughs> and the key with this thing is that, one, uh, Dreamcast pads had two slots. so It didn't steal yeah. memory card slot. And two, unlike the N64 Rumble pack, did not require batteries. Yeah that does. <laughs> it sure does,
0: yeah. Yes, powered from within. Um don't remember too many other sensational uses for vibration but I'm sure there sure there was there was some um there was a very nice and I used to have two of these. I've now just got one. It's right here. Grey and green um arcade yeah. stick. Uh, a real nice big chunky deck. Yeah, I love um, those. Don't know who makes who made the parts because that wasn't in the lexicon back then, but it always felt like a high-end arcade stick to me and given the library of games on the dreamcast all the all the capcom fighters and shoot 'em ups and stuff an arcade stick was kind of essential for fans of that sort of game anyone else enjoy or keep their dc stick yeah i i have one as well
3: yep got one at launch played a lot of power stone with it later mm. picked up dead or alive too and played a lot of that with it as well
0: yeah and also has a vmu slot of course like all the peripherals did uh there was uh as mentioned earlier a microphone 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 for <laughs> for well, i don't know how many things used it uh semen obviously yep, yep. Uh, uh talking to your your crazy fish man um i i always want to i get muddled up at this point with um because there was obviously there was one on the n64 there was then one on the gamecube Cube. yeah frodama um I don't remember. Did anything else use the microphone? I know there was a karaoke thing in Japan add-on, but that was a separate deal. That, uh,
2: that's actually one thing I can't recall. I just remember Seaman.
0: Uh, Seaman, that's all you needed it for. Yep. If he had you needed nothing else. Uh, speaking of fish... Uh, The fishing rod. Now, this was a curious one because Sega Bass Fishing and Marine Fishing were both highly regarded uh, conversions, or pretty much one to one, weren't they? I think was the the, probably Naomi Games, Um, and the home versions were well reviewed, even among people who would never do fishing in real life, such as myself. But there was a there was a supply issue with fishing rods. Certainly in Europe, you couldn't get hold of the official Sega one, and people like Mad Cats were making these inferior knockoffs but and then there was this whole culture around playing other games with fishing rods yep. so playing soul caliber with a fishing rod in oh, the yeah. style of a sword
1: stuff like yeah that, that was what a strange time we, we had like a randomly like the game where uh near in the shopping center near me there was a a game in an electronics boutique and uh like uh like within about 10 feet of each other and then obviously like a, the electronics boutique became another game eventually which was just pointless but um I remember uh, I went into went into the game to look for some stuff, and I, I can't remember if it was near the end of the run or whatever it was, but I remember picking up a uh, Sega Bass Fishing and the fishing rod, and it was like twenty quid, and it was the official fishing oh. rod, and they had loads oh. of them. And uh, my uh, and I and I went to the, um, uh, the the place I used to trade secondhand what's it games for, and. Uh, I asked him about Sega Bass Fishing and he was like, have you got the rod? And I went, no, he goes, it doesn't matter anyway. He goes, we could give you like a a 25 quid trade in for that. So I was like, oh, swish. So I bought like two, Mm. two two fishing rods home and one copy of the game and then swapped the other copy of the game for someone else. (laughs) Uh, But I remember like, and the Dreamcast for me, like I said at the start, like uh, inevitable links to kind of that period in your life when i was like 18 18 to 21 just getting hammered all the time do you know what i mean and going drunk out fishing and, oh mate drunk drunk two man <laughs> drunk two man soul caliber both with the fishing rods was absolutely next level honestly <laughs> on a monday night and student night progressively getting more hammers like waiting for like the bus like before we would do like like two three hours of playing dreamcast getting progressively more hammered and the uh, the, the, the last thing we'd always play House the dad, as you said, like with the with the guns on on vibration hammered, and then yeah, two player soul caliber fishing rods hammered.
0: As uh, as another <laughs> video for your channel as well. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, the what well, I did want to say about the gun actually, it was um, it was uh, the the period of time where they mm. didn't want to make guns that look like guns um so the the virtue cop guns on the saturn looked pretty awesome uh they were blue they, they didn't want them to be in in europe anyway they didn't want them to be gunmetal gray or anything like that but the dreamcast gun they were obviously going for the it's not really a gun thing and you ended up with this daft looking device it was it worked fine but it 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 did not look cool <laughs> oh the yeah. guns are cool
2: but this was a particularly uncool gun. I guess, and obviously, the Japanese gun was since it wasn't released. They even removed support for it uh, from uh-huh. the Western version of the game. So, if you did right. import one of those, I don't believe uh, you could use it with the version. Uh, uh, so they really took a lot of steps to ensure that yeah, you're not using one of those more realistic. Remind looking guns. me,
0: but was the Japanese gun yeah more like the Virtua Cop? type gun I type think it hair.
2: was it's but I actually don't have one of those but um nah. it was closer to what you'd expect from what yeah. I
1: recall to eBay uh, yeah <laughs> they didn't they didn't release it in America I remember reading at the time like uh th- there was a bit there was a big like uh, I don't know if it was like a- exactly what happened but there was a load of stuff on they didn't release it in America at the time because there was a lot of the stuff with it it wasn't long after Columbine was it and there was a load right. of the stuff like that and, and gun laws it was kind of in the in the kind of the public kind of straw i want it but because i remember getting that dreamcast gun and it had like a big warning message on the side even though it basically looked like something that you'd see Don't now use this
0: in airports yeah like yeah. it
1: looks like it looks like something now you'd see at a car wash do you know what i mean realistically right. <laughs> it looks like some kind of novelty car mm. hose you drive your car in on a sunday and like five geezers clean your car and one of them's got something that looks like a a dreamcast light gun that just fires like soap but I mean, like, uh, I remember at the time seeing like that, uh, seeing that thing. Take zombies out. Yeah. And it basically said on it, like, uh, it said something dead ominous, like, uh, using did, this, yeah. taking this out in public or what, it could result in arrest or worse. <laughs> <laughs> Calm <Yes>. down.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, maracas. Um, well, it wasn't I that I say bad. to you all. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Samba de Amigo did Come out in PAL territories in very limited numbers. I still wish I bought it, but s- s- thankfully, Same. some years later, my partner picked up the both Samba De Amigo and Samba De Amigo 2000 on Japanese import and some third party maracas. Uh, and you also have to have, uh, there was a floor element to this as well, yep, wasn't yep. there? It was, a, it was a sort of mat and a light sensor thing, and um, yeah, this was uh, around the time of the sort of DDR craze, but here yeah. you got to play with maracas and. And uh, the cutest, you know, one of one of gaming's cutest monkeys, um, and Sega. Sega has been responsible for a few of those. Uh, Such a great party game!
3: Fantastic. And I I did have a copy of this, Matt and all, and I don't recall ever buying it, which is the strangest thing. So I don't know how I had it. It It may have been hundred quid as well. Yeah, it may have been borrowed or loaned from a friend. I can't actually recall, but I remember having an absolute riot in my room playing this game. Um, I was a big DDR fan at the time. Um, did, didn't so much like looking like a fool in the arcades, but you know had plenty of <laughs> options around here. But the idea of being able to actually, you know, utilize this in the house and it actually felt good to play was. Definitely a, a benefit because the DDR stuff that had come out on the PlayStation felt trash. So um, unless you had the big expensive, you know, metal light bulb. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, oh, yeah, if you had one of those fancy ones, <laughs> it was great. But most of them were just a mat that was just a death trap that you dad's they were on until it whipped yeah. out under your feet. It was like that um, old
0: uh, public service film about the woman who slips on the polished floor into a glass cabinet full of glasses. That's
3: exactly <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> 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 that that was basically the risk that you lived with with DDR. Yeah. That was kind of not the case with uh, Samba de Amigo, thankfully. Yeah, so, much safer. no, no Thank injuries. Um, maybe a few <laughs> things knocked off shelves, but no injuries.
2: But yeah,
0: not cheap and not easy to get hold of. Is this in your collection, John?
2: Um, yeah, it's a. Uh, that is one that I I have one set of them upstairs still in the box. It is quite an enjoyable game to play once in a while. It's yeah. right next to my uh bongos for the gamecube it's a bit of a, a ball lake to set up um yeah that's and, kind of uh, the issue it's you know it's, it's one of those fun games to play once in a while but yeah it, uh, it does t- it takes a lot of work to get everything set up and going and it's not the kind of thing you want to just leave set up all the time no it's trip hazard yeah <laughs> so it's cool but yeah but you got a young kid right you could
0: play maracas
2: yeah actually i i've about that but he's not yeah. he never really got into the motion control or things like that that never really excited him. so
0: okay uh and finally on the interesting doohickey front uh, although you know maybe there's something i've forgotten but the this one i didn't know about until putting the show together the dream eye or i'd, or I'd forgotten about it was a digital camera released in japan only uh, in 2000 it was designed to be both a webcam and a still camera Um, I don't know if it was like UNO on the 360 some years later and it was mainly used for uh, teleporting pictures of your genitals down the internet or whether, I suppose in Japan, it probably was used for more wholesome purposes. Um, (laughs) Beyond that, I don't know anything about it. Promotion wise, uh, I mentioned the up to six billion players, which there were issues with that. Um, Trading standards or advertising standards authority uh, got involved. Because of course it's not actually up to six billion players. It's ridiculous uh it was act- I mean even up to nine million players would have been a stretch um, so they had to they had to rethink that, and uh, they came up with its thinking um was the I think the follow-up campaign probably lasted from six months into the Dreamcast to its death a couple well, a year and a half half later or whatever. Uh, Carl mentioned the Dreamcast Arsenal FC sponsorship, which lasted a season before they before the Dreamcast was dying. So they changed it to the more generic Sega, uh, because obviously they still had their games to promote, which they were now converting to GameCube, PS Two, and Xbox, and releasing new stuff as well. The probably the most interesting thing for me about Dreamcast advertising is the series of adverts they ran in Japan. Do check this out on YouTube if you want. Uh, Just search Saviour of the Dreamcast or Hidekazu Yukawa. So this is a series of adverts involving a Sega executive basically flogging Dreamcast on a cart and apologising for the lack of Dreamcasts. And there's a whole kind of, it's a little sort of mini soap opera series. It's very Japanese, very quirky, very interesting. And it's kind of gone down in legend worth seeking out. I can't remember what the Dreamcast magazines were elsewhere, but we had uh, two of note. We had DC UK, which I think was the future one, future publishing, and Official Dreamcast magazine, which, very lame claim to fame, my former acquaintance and former boss, Warren Christmas, was the editor of Official Dreamcast
3: magazine uh, while that was running, um, which wasn't very long, but he he made a good mag. Didn't they take some of the staff, or the quality staff, from CVG over to them as well when it launched? If I remember correctly, they took some of their star writers to go and work on the Dreamcast division.
0: Possibly, but this was Dennis was Publishing. It
3: Ed, was it Ed Lomas? No, the official one, I mean the official Dreamcast magazine. Yeah. Did so, Ed Lomas go over there as
0: well? Yeah, yeah. So the this was the thing. Official Dreamcast magazine was Dennis Publishing rather than Future. Um they got the license, I believe. And ah, uh, yes. and Ed Lomas is uh one of Warren's best mates. So yes, he basically yeah. he mm. basically half inched him, yeah.
2: I know that uh on the on the magazine front, I think I talked about this at one of our panels, but Richard actually uh if you remember Richard Ledbetter, my boss, the musical yes, foundry, absolutely. he ran the Sega Saturn magazine in, he did. in uh, the UK. It was an That's, excellent mag, having gone back through it. It I was I think yeah, they pitched a Dreamcast magazine as well. That's right. But there was some other company that I guess that pitched the official Dreamcast magazine. That yeah. got a uh, a picture of an actress or something on there, or some sort of like um, hmm. basically a a face on the cover that somehow convinced Sega to go with them over the magazine <laughs> right. that they pitched. <laughs> and that mag didn't end up being quite as good as mm. the Sega Saturn magazine, yeah. I would say. But uh, that's kind of a weird thing that happened there. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Mag- magazines, the what it- it did feel quite slim pickings, particularly when you would go and you'd see maybe four, five, six different PlayStation oh, yeah. magazines. Um, this is why I ended up going and getting the import magazines um, from my news agents because it felt like I was getting a bit more diverse information. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it, it was strange. I, I did quite like the Dreamcast magazines, but I generally stuck to things like Edge. Multi-formats, um, or, yeah. or Or, or right. import multi-formats for that reason
2: i went with David the official ir- Meg myself because it, in the US, at least it came with a demo disc.
1: Right. Yeah. 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 yes. Yeah, the, the irony for me was like, this was the first generation of uh, consoles that I'd like bought and been a part of where I didn't buy any magazines for it at all because, mm. well, it gave me the internet, so I didn't have to. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you could so, and read uh, those you, articles
0: over several days.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did. Start it downloading, go for my tea, and then come back, and it'd be <laughs> like, I'd have like three paragraphs. And then from Geo
3: City's website.
1: Yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah. But it's do you know what I mean? Like it was you talk about like the, that connectivity with the internet and people getting involved with forum culture and stuff like that. And then I I picked up on that quite quickly and was able to like find various sites where I could kind of find there was there was a couple like you say of ones with like with release dates and reviews and stuff like that. And it was at its thingy level, but it was the fact that like um you could watch it. You could uh, I'd go on like the next day, and if a game had been like the release date had been changed or something had happened, it just felt like loads of dead more like loads of more kind of immediate. It was the, like yeah. the thing, and there was a and back and forth that... as well. Wasn't yeah, actual exactly. Discussion. And it's it's weird, isn't it? Because like, um, like, I mean, you're talking like about eight or nine years ago, but I used to I used to write for a living for a bit, and I, I mostly wrote uh, w- website work, but. Um, and the, it was a nightmare, like when stuff changed and you had to change articles and tweak stuff around. And the the holy grail of writing then for free for for the most of freelance writers that paid the best and was kind of still people still had prestige for was magazine writing, which I only kind of got into kind of near the end. But it was mm. that thing of like as soon as you sent it off, that was it. Then yeah. like you didn't really have to do anything with it. But yeah, this was. This was that point where I was like, I remember buying a couple of the official magazines. I remember them being quite expensive as well. Oh, yeah. For some reason. If they had
0: a disc on especially, it would yeah, be five exactly. ninety nine or something. Yeah,
1: And I remember getting home. And I remember a friend at university had one of them and it had a link to some to some website. And I remember writing it down and then going home and putting that information <laughs> in and having information on new releases. And I remember thinking, why have you put that in your magazine? Do you know what I mean? You, you've just basically, like, uh, yeah. invalidated yourself. Here. This
0: was the era when uh, they'd give out every little bit of website addresses as well and they'd be about...
1: Oh, yeah. Th- you Do you know, know what I mean? It's like, it's like that episode of the American Office where where Dwight says, here, oh, the, the, we'll be fine after this whole internet fad dies down. And it's like <laughs> It's like 2008 or something. <laughs> like it's, it's that thing there like i do i do think like yeah like a lot of people had no idea of just how much like it was going to kind of change or, everything
0: even the time we're talking about egon spengler 15 years prior had said print is dead you know dead medium so um were there any specific dreamcast so single format american titles are we were you still in america at this yeah you were still in america at this yeah. point yeah anything uh dc centric just but, the, the on, official US magazine?
2: Yeah, yeah, there was absolutely. That's the one with the demo disc. There was right. the official Dreamcast magazine. Any third-party right. ones, unofficial ones? Uh, that's that I can't recall. I don't think there no. was actually. No, I mean, the Dreamcast got a fair amount Just of coverage in yeah. yeah, the multi-format mags. I think yeah. you mentioned yeah. uh, earlier there was, uh, um, EGM. They did a they yeah, did a really nice job with the Dreamcast coverage. So. Between that and the official magazine, you know, it felt like it was well covered and given a fair shake. And I feel like the U S is actually perhaps where the dreamcast was the most popular. Yeah, I think so. It it really did well over there and it had a lot of buzz. And I do feel like it could have continued Mm. uh, had they, you know, had the money to continue to fund it. But yeah, I mean, it it had some traction. Mm. So almost
0: uh, up to the bit where we take a whistle stop tour through the Console's library, uh, Mechner. First from the forum says, "I came to Dreamcast extremely late when it launched in '99. I didn't even own a console. Dreamcast stuck out for having possibly the most interesting logo. Something about that blue swirl stuck in my brain, even after the console just disappeared from the marketplace shortly after. No one knew. No one I knew ever owned one, and it drifted into relative obscurity here in Ireland. Skip through more or less three generations of consoles later, to 2014 when I got the strange desire in my head." to revisit a more nostalgic time. For some reason, this included absolutely having to get my hands on a Sega Dreamcast. I took a trip to Dublin with my longtime best friend to a fairly well-stocked shop, one of the few in Ireland, called The Rage, and I put, <laughs> picked up my Dreamcast and five games. There was one more thing the guy behind the counter suggested I pick up. This was a VGA to HDMI adapter. I looked at him puzzled. He said, trust me, this is going to look amazing. I took the advice and bought it. Little did I know how good this Dreamcast was going to look. Upon arriving home, we immediately hooked up the Dreamcast to my Sony Bravia. I powered up the console and the famous swirl hit my screen. To say I was blown away by the performance and visuals of a then 15 year old console is an understatement. A console of pure joy and creativity. The games are utterly full of imagination and bursting with colour. What followed for me was a year long obsession with everything Dreamcast. My game collection grew rapidly ballooning up to 40 titles. I even bought a second Dreamcast and modded it with a blue LED. The last time I played it was in 2015. I don't know if I will ever play it again, but I can say with surety that the Dreamcast still to this day holds its own and it's easy to see why it has a cult following. Thank you, Mechna. So yeah, around 620 games were released officially. From November twenty seventh, ninety eight to March the eighth, two thousand and seven, in Japan, where the console actually outlasted both the Xbox and the GameCube for new releases, which is remarkable in itself. Quick look at the launch lineups. I think one of the reasons that perhaps it didn't quite capture the imagination early on, as it might have done, is the Japanese launch lineup consisted of just four games: Uh, Godzilla (laughs) Generations, July uh pen pen still never been do we pronounce this trill salon tri isolon neverlon tri isolon yeah it is okay, uh and virtual fighter three t b um and maybe if the conversion of three t b had been absolutely arcade perfect or better, maybe that would have just about been enough in Japan,
2: I but think, actually it was when you look at it though at the time it felt almost perfect, yeah, i mean it was really only once people like myself and others. Picking it up. Started <laughs> to compare it and pick it apart, you start to see, okay, well they didn't quite nail it, but it felt very, very close. And I think that actually kinda of was enough, even if it was a rather bare bones yeah. conversion. Didn't even have a proper versus mode in the Japanese release. And I'm sure it was responsible for selling some systems. Yeah. There was oh, yeah. there was plenty of other games that followed pretty quickly though. That's I mean true. Sonic Adventure came a month later, and then Sega Rally 2 and so yeah. on and so forth. But yeah, the launch uh, I've made, I've went ahead and picked up all the launch games since then, just for fun. Yeah, right. And stuff like July, which is a mm. visual novel. If yeah, not, you know, it's like an F, or like an FMV kind of thing. Yeah, bizarre. But the weirdest one, are you familiar with Sengoku Turb from mm, NEC? I think so. You should look it up. It's one of the strangest games you could imagine, and that was awesome. another very early thing. Uh, yeah, Japanese first month or two, very strange time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a whole year later we got the much more familiar looking us launch lineup uh which involved things like uh, blue stinger and house of the dead 2 uh, which i didn't realize was launch title the conversion of hydro thunder uh, we had some mortal combat in the form of gold some nfl uh, we had two nfl games uh, the blitz and the 2k yeah. um power stone ready to rumble and that sonic adventure um as from a, memory, NFL
3: two yeah. K was absolutely adored. If yeah, correct. it was. It was incredible. Yeah, it was like a really big deal.
2: Right. Yeah, it it was, was a big deal, even though there was no Madden. Yeah. The whole two K series and NFL two K, even up through two K five. I mean, that was it's yeah. kind of said that that's the reason that EA went after the exclusive NFL license because those two those K games were just so darn good.
3: Yeah, and I know that they tried to do the same thing, didn't they, with the EA uh, with the NBA license, and it never yeah. quite worked out yeah. with the live series. But yeah, the 2K NFL games, uh, people still talk about them today.
0: Mm. Mm. So yeah, with as always, with these uh, rushing through the games rundowns, please just cut in, dive in, say something if, uh, if you've got something to say as we go through the titles. Obviously, listener, we can't possibly cover every game that was ever released in the Dreamcast. So apologies, as always, if we don't mention the one that you wanted us to mention. It's literally not possible. Uh, Let's hear from Jobo Bonobo from the forum who says, I was pleasantly surprised when I heard the announcement of the Dreamcast with its sleek design, iconic logo and incredible graphics to get uh, get such glowing attention in the gaming magazines. Being a big Sonic guy during the Mega Drive days and especially being so blown away after the groundbreaking Mario 64, I was officially hyped for this. So on my 14th birthday, not only did I get the day off from school, but our local video place had a Dreamcast available to rent. I knew what I was going to be doing that day. So I got a Dreamcast with a copy of Sonic Adventure. Could not wait to get started first thing that morning. It was an interesting experience. While the game had plenty of jaw-dropping moments, there were moments that baffled me. What was with the cringy rock tunes, realistic people wandering around the world, a hub world for exploring, the absurd voice acting... The actual levels were fun to go through, but these other design decisions rubbed me the wrong way and having to restart the game over and over again because I did not have a VMU did not help endear me to it further. My interest in the Dreamcast had dropped dramatically. If Sonic could let me down, was there anything else worth bothering with on the system? Turns out I was as wrong as it was possible to be due to trying out versions of Dreamcast titles on PS2 such as Crazy Taxi, Ikaruga and Rez on Xbox 360 and House of the Dead 2. On the Wii, it opened my eyes to the really fun, quirky and experimental catalogue of titles the Dreamcast had to offer. Turns out there were a wonderful library of cra- classics that I'd foolishly missed out on all these years. Jet Set Radio, Power Stone, Samba de Amigo, Skies of Arcadia, Choo Choo Rocket, Soul Calibur and so much more. I really wished I gave the console another chance and witnessed some of the most memorable classics of the sixth generation in their original form. If the Dreamcast has taught me anything, it is this never judge a console solely solely on a hyped up title that did not live up to expectations that it was sega's final console made my dismissal of it all the more tragic sonic adventure um i actually this was the one i saw on a running on a in an import shop in late 98 it was the fmv Mm -hmm. running and i was immediately like obviously i was excited to see a dreamcast up and running and it was cool seeing some high quality fmv but i was just looking at it thinking that doesn't look or feel much like Sonic the Hedgehog to me. So I did get this game with my with my Dreamcast and uh I played it some, but I never finished it. I didn't just didn't enjoy it all that much.
3: Yeah, it was a strange feeling. I was I've never been the biggest Sonic fan. I've got friends who absolutely Sonic everything. Yeah. Um and Sonic's obviously a really big deal. Uh about 2 months ago I actually took some kids from my girlfriend's street to the amusements and one of the kids who I'd never spoke to before, I think he was seven, would not stop talking about Sonic. And Sonic's the best thing ever. So it was obviously it's still a huge still deal going. now. Yeah. Somehow Sonic Adventure didn't kill that franchise off. Um, maybe Generations did a better job. But I remember this was the game I had to have.
2: I mean, Generations is great. So. Yeah,
3: Generations is the good one. 6 is the shocking one. Oh yeah. Um so Sonic Adventure had to be the game I needed to pick up. It was not what I wanted it to look like, but it was the game that was going to sell Sega to me. Um so graphics looked was, amazing
0: in the magazine screenshots it. as well.
3: I was hyped for this whole year, and I was like, we're definitely getting this on launch. Don't care what anyone says, I'm picking it up. Um, and the strangest thing is, all I remember is running across the docks and a whale coming after me. Yeah, it was a that cool was set piece. It is a really cool set piece, and I remember the cameras, being really wowed by it. The
0: camera makes it almost unplayable, but...
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then just, I remember so little else of that game, and it's such a shame, but I remember it being a big thing where, as as I said, I was, you know, I came home at lunchtime, I had to go back to school, and that whole afternoon I was thinking, I'm going to get home, and I'm going to play Sonic Adventure, it's going to be amazing, and um, yeah, it, mm. it, it's it's strange that... I associate it with a, an amazing time for me at the launch of a console and yet I remember next to nothing about the game that was most excited to play.
0: We will yeah. no doubt cover the Sonic series someday but uh, I loved yeah. the game at the time Did you? honestly
2: cool. but yeah. you know it's that's one of those games that has a lot of technical problems. It's uh, kind of a
0: shame because Sonic team had already obviously made some 3D stuff with the yeah. Uh, Sonic be,
2: Jam Hub and To like be it. fair, though, I mean, this launched in, like, December 98 originally, yeah. right? They only had, like, a few months at most with yeah. the final hardware. Very true. So, mm. you know, for such a big game, this Bit was a, a very, f- yeah, I mean. And we got Jake Lloyd's Tales, which is not, <laughs> not it, has a great, it has a great soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, yes. It's an interesting. Subjective. <laughs> I like it. I think it's great. I think yeah. they did a nice job in there. Too much, uh, um, it didn't, yeah, it wasn't what I wanted aesthetically from Sonic, that, yeah. that sound. That it was a cool change, and at the time it was a neat, it was a, it was a different thing, and it made a lot of sense at the time. Yeah. Uh, everything had gone 3D, it kind of, you know, it just kind of worked in that sense. But yeah, it has a lot of technical problems, and I don't know if you guys have actually played the original Japanese version much. Never. Versus no. the updated Western version, but the difference is... Dramatic. The right. original Japanese version is awful. Right. Uh, the camera is about mm. ten times worse than it is wow. in the Western version. Yeah. It gets stuck in everything. The frame rate is much much worse. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing is just an it's just a mess. They had a year to refine
0: it, where they they did very little yeah. to the hardware, but they did they did quite a lot to. So Sonic it, yeah,
2: the final thing is still not great, but and technically, but it is a pretty big step up, except for the one weird bug I noticed where. Uh when you play through the story mode, most of the levels run at a stable 30 frames per second. Mm. But if you play the time attack mode, they're much slower. Mm. And they run more like the Japanese version. Cute. So it's weird. I always wondered about this. A lot of those levels, they were tons of slowdown in time attack. Uh mostly stable in the story mode. So I wonder if I always wondered if this was somehow related to the fixes they were doing and it didn't whatever they mm. changed didn't apply to the time attack mode. Or the time attack versions of the stages. And so you ended up with basically, you know, Japanese style performance. And even then, by the way, uh oh, there's so many revisions of Sonic Adventure. There's that Japanese version, there's the Hollywood video rental version from the Ooh. summer, the limited edition. That's <laughs> like it has some bug fixes, but not all of them. So it's not even really completed. And then there's <laughs> the launch. Then there's the launch version. And then there was another version. And you can tell because the update, the last version has a different title screen. with Sort yeah. of a wavy water effect that's missing on the previous ones. So there's at least like four or five different variations hmm. of this game out there, uh, each with additional fixes and changes made to them. So it's a very weird kind of situation. And uh, that's not know. even including like the auto demo that was released by yeah. launch where you can get a, all right. just like it's a real-time graphics demonstration but you can't really play it, but that's pre-release, and all the stuff just a few months when it was first revealed, that was showing it at 60 frames per second when the final game is not, and it's a, I do want to do a video on this sometime, because the the, the whole Sonic Adventure development story is so bizarre and so interesting, and so clearly defined by the fact that it came out so early, they were just scrambling to get this thing finished. That would be a great video. Yeah, I love that sort of uh, yeah, incredible um
0: <laughs> comparing the minutiae between different versions of games. And yeah, so a couple of years later towards the end of uh, the Dreamcast's Natural Life or Healthy Life, anyway, was uh, the sequel Sonic Adventure 2. Um and you were saying before we started recording that by your estimation it was, uh, you know, quite a solid sequel and a and a decent refinement.
2: Yeah, I mean it had, you know, some of the the, the Knuckles and Rouge stages where you have to search for emeralds. Oh, yeah. Pretty awful, <laughs> mainly due to the fact that you don't have a free camera to look around. Right. But the actual Sonic stages and even the robot stages, they're they're pretty fun to play. Sonic plays quite well. Frame rate is now 60 frames per second. It just feels more solid. Everything works better. You can really get into a, a loop and the, getting a good grade is actually rather challenging. So you really end up perfecting it and going for the fastest runs with finding lots of shortcuts and just, uh, it starts to feel more like you would expect. And that is, it's a good time, despite some flaws. (laughs) Okay. Uh,
0: Obviously among Sega's first party lineup, uh, Yu Suzuki and AM2's Shenmue's 1 and 2, so ambitious they ended up uh, splitting up and still not finishing it. Uh, Mechner from the forum says a friend and I played through Shenmue from start to finish, collecting as much as we could while following Ryu on his bizarre adventure to avenge his father. It was an unforgettable experience. Terrible voice acting. So bad, it's good. Strange but pleasing controls. Racing and winning in forklift competitions. Listening to laughable J-pop with English words as Ryu drives a motorbike. It was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. One of the best gaming experiences I've ever had. Uh, We covered both games in depth uh, some years ago on Kane and Rince, playing them in whenever we did 2014 um, was eh, not so not always such plain sailing, but we had nothing but admiration for the ambition and the atmosphere. And it seems like, um, did you get hands on with the recent playable demo, John? Yes. I
2: think I'm going to be covering that in my next video. So just a preview thing. It is interesting okay uh
0: it's definitely happening and that's the thing that we didn't think was going to be the case for best part of 20 years so uh let's keep an eye on that um ben were you a shenmue kind of guy or was it not your cup of tea
1: yeah i did i had, um, i played through the first one um really enjoyed it bought the second one and got kind of a bit of the way into it and just kind of lost it kind of lost probably lost yeah, the interest but- to start playing something else yeah really i do remember yeah i, I do uh, I do remember, and like I say, a little group of about four or five of us, uh, when the first one came out, that there was just like nothing but kind of forklift and sailor jokes. But you know what I mean? Oh for, yeah, for the good. Uh, <laughs> for the for rest the of
0: first, gaming history.
1: Yeah, for the first, for those first kind of uh, three, four weeks. But yeah, it was. It's strange, isn't it? Like it's a strange one to try and if you, if someone, if you were trying to explain that game to somebody who didn't play video games, I don't know where you would even begin. Yeah. it's such a such a strange little uh, it's such actually strange little and i think the,
0: the controls are so stuck in their time and, and yeah. with their ambition yeah. that i mean i know they re-released the two games recently on current formats and you know with slightly spruced up graphics and so on and people i think still you know get something out of them but there's a lot of stuff in there that just doesn't Tinch. fly anymore i think for me anyway Um, I'm very genuinely delighted for the people who were emotionally invested in the story that they're going to get some kind of closure. (laughs) It's a (laughs) a wonderful thing. Um, Fancy Star Online, uh, we've mentioned already, But Alex79UK says, I was introduced to the Dreamcast by a friend who was always bang up to date with the latest consoles. We'd sometimes go back to his after the pub and playing with real-life humans in Fancy Star Online absolutely blew my mind yeah this was one early online gaming experience for me and yeah i loved i mean this this was sonic team really far more in their pomp for me doing um magical you know making making magic happen just the atmosphere of this game and i wasn't really a fantasy star guy i I pretty much skipped all the the jrpgs up to this point but um but this game was yeah i mean i didn't rack up 400 pound a quarter or whatever but uh <laughs> but i had some i have some really um vivid memories of going online and get just even just being in the hub for the first time let alone teaming up it was um formative and yeah eye opening
1: yeah it was incredible like i look i don't know it's, it's it's for me like it's one of the most important games i've ever played a thing mm-hmm. like i can't when I first bought it, like I didn't have the thingy to go online, so I played it a little bit. Did all the started doing the offline stuff. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed the concept of it, but was really frustrated by it. Um, and and like, it it was kind of the the story mode's kind of quite like incidental, really. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, kind of yeah. built around this this nuance of playing with different people online. And I remember at the time, like I went round to uh, my mate's house, um, and he fired it up, and he was playing like. Uh, online and he got so much further into it than me and i just i I, it absolutely blew my mind and then i got home and i was like right i need to sort this out so the next day i had a word like with my parents they went yeah as long as you pay the bill and now buy a phone and then my dad was like buy a phone and i'll just stick a line through it so i did and i got online and uh it just changed everything like that game in general like you said about the atmosphere and the ambience and stuff like that that soundtrack like Mm. still yeah, to this day like and just like but certain specific incidental bits of music like when it first comes on and you've got that logo of the year uh, of like the planet and all the beams of light come over the top that like little kind of like instrumental run with the synths and everything mm-hmm. automatically makes me either check the time or look out the window because <laughs> normally when that came on i just logged off and it was like five in the morning and going <laughs> light do you know what i mean like yeah. i i i uh, when i got come- it I got a legit. Uh, I got a legit level one hundred, um, which took ages. And then they bought out the the next version, didn't they? They bought out like a two uh, oh, yeah, two oh, yeah, where you could get up to level. The crazy thing with that though, right, was the fact that the levels were like were quite incremental in terms of VXP, so it wasn't a massive jump. But when you got to ninety nine, the level from ninety nine to hundred was something like six times more than ninety eight to ninety nine was. So in my head, I was like, well, this makes sense. Like, it's a massive level. You're going to get something big and you level up just like a normal level. And I'm like, oh, but I was like, never mind. Like, I'm at 100 now. So when they brought the new version out, and it said you get to level 200, I was like, this is going to be absolutely incredible. Surely they've got a, and they, it had like a very hard game mode and you you could reset like, um, uh, reset the parameters for levels and stuff. I was like, oh, so fair enough. So I logged on well, I got it and I was dead excited. And I looked at the EXP level and it was like, Twice as much as it was for 99 to 100 yeah. to get to 100 to 101. Right. And I was like, this is never going to work. <laughs> and I legitimately got to about level 117, I want to say. And I was just, and that took absolutely weeks, absolutely weeks. And then I got a uh, Game Shark and started just making
0: loads
1: no. of food. Uh, oh. yeah. I, I, just, I couldn't do it at 200. <laughs> I got a Game Shark and started making loads of hack weaponry and then got a no, year. No, no. yeah i got i got a year. i got a 48 hour ban from uh, from <laughs> Sega for go, for going on with a cuz i think the, the maximum level mag you could get i can't remember whatever it was but i went on with a mag that i engineered that was 6 times higher than anything you could get and i logged on and then it logged me straight off and then i had an email and it was from Sega and it basically oh, said oh my goodness don't do that again you're not coming on for 48 hours and i was like it felt like the the world was do you know what i mean like you imagine I'm like being 20. spied on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Sega just sent me an email. I'm like some 20-year-old idiot playing this game in my bedroom. <laughs> but yeah, like I am. Yeah, nothing but nothing but amazing memories of that.
0: Fantasy Star Online coming to Xbox, is it? Or PlayStation? I've forgotten. One of the two.
1: I just, <laughs> I don't. I at don't some, even watch that. At saying. some point in the near future. Oh, the two that's coming to Xbox?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, so. I wouldn't. I, the thing with that is, though, I wouldn't have played that. Everything I wanted that to be. Was everything that when I got to play World of Warcraft, World of Warcraft was yeah. to me. I You'd want be better to start off just
0: playing Monster Hunter now, I think.
1: But, yeah, you know. probably. But it's the th- really. that
0: it's still going is cool.
1: Yeah, hundred uh, percent.
0: Other, uh, I guess Jet Set Radio is one of the games that I associate most strongly with the Dreamcast. Yeah, just a absolutely. staggering audio. Like I, I've always found it quite frustrating to play. Um, I think they they refined it quite a bit with the, the Xbox sequel, but the audio visual side was just. Gobsmacking back in yeah. two thousand and one, amazing soundtrack.
2: Yeah, that's definitely that's one of my favorites. Actually, i I actually thought, what it, What do you guys think about the changes made to the Western version, uh, where they added in you know sort of the American cities and inserted you know some Dragula in there? You I that. think our v- PAL version is closer to the Japanese one. I is think. it? Does it not have that extra content? I'm not sure.
0: It's it. I'm not certain. So there's the
2: point where you go to essentially like New York, it's like looks like Times Square, and then there's like, you know, um they release mm. it in Japan later as like De La Jet Set Radio, I think. okay. But yeah, the original Japanese release does not have that. And they're mm. they're interesting levels, but stylistically I always thought the music and look kind of clashed a little right. bit.
0: Yeah. Uh, those games also available. They re-release them on PS3 and 360 and stuff. You can play it on Vita even. Um, Rez, of course, came out on Dreamcast. had originally been designed as a Dreamcast game. Um, but actually, here's where I bought the PS2 version because it was better. It was actually uh, mm-hmm. higher frame rate and higher resolution, I believe, as well. So I felt bad, but it had to be done because I really wanted that game in the best possible audio visual um had 5.1 audio as well on um, ps2 so uh but yes it was a dreamcast game should never be forgotten headhunter also got ported uh to ps2 but i, I think it's one of those yeah. where people swear by the original over the, uh, the conversion Yeah,
2: i mean the conversions actually that's one Is of it all the, right? it's pretty good there okay it was mixed there was some great dreamcast ps2 conversions like echo the dolphin is better on the ps2 sure um yeah. but then there's stuff you know it depends on how who converted it you know yes. grandia 2 which i'm sure you'll mention yeah uh it's terrible on there but that's right. you know yeah different thing <laughs> for sure
0: yeah i never played echo defender of the future oh um, man it Love appealed it looks it looked so lovely and i and i did like the mega drive game but it was punishingly hard at the end so i Um, so I think that put me off somewhat. Was it, was this more, was this the dreamcast
2: Dreamcast game? I love so much because it has one of the most compelling atmospheres I can Mm. ever recall in any video game to date. Mm. It still sticks with me. I mean, the soundtrack and just the depths of the sea. And as you get further and further into the game, it goes from like the nice blue ocean to like, you know, you start to see weird machinery. And by the end you're like going through these weird like time tunnels and like, the whole, the way everything changes and warps as you near the end and just like exploring these underwater ruins, it, it, uh, it's something, it's really special. Like that atmosphere in it. The game itself is good, but very, very difficult. It is. It's right. not always obvious, yeah. like what the heck you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're kind of like messing around, trying to figure it out. And that can get a little bit annoying, but I still thought it was a very memorable game. Hmm. So, oh.
3: I'm a little like Leon in the fact that I ignored it because I found that the Mega Drive versions were too frustrating. And my biggest issue with Echo is also an issue that I have with Nights, although I do love that game. And it's that when I'm playing it, I feel like the game wants me to feel really relaxed with (laughs) serene music. It's beautiful to look at. But I'm actually really angry and frustrated because I can't do what I need to do. And it's like, you're trying to sell me calmness. <laughs> and all I'm being sold is Ridge. Quite a few and games
0: like that. It's like a subgenre. Games, yeah. That, games that are supposed to chill you out, but actually make you furious. <laughs> um, I'd love us to cover the Echo series someday on the on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've already mentioned some of the the straight arcade conversions that were done, handled often by almost the exact same teams or very close to cross, you know, crossover teams within. Sega-like Hitmaker or whoever, so Crazy Taxi. Um, obviously, they added great content for the home version as well. Yeah. Filled it out.
3: Crazy, crazy Taxi was a huge one for me. That was that was the big deal um, around the time that it was coming out. I, I live on the seaside. Everyone who's listened to me before on the podcast knows that I was in uh, the amusements and the arcades a lot as a child. I was very fortunate to have one of the full sit-down, moving car, Crazy Taxi units um, readily available. Um, fantastic to play. They actually ended up pulling out and changing it with the 18-wheeler game, which mm. was also a lot of fun with a massive wheel, but not as good as Crazy Taxi.
0: We never yet. had a Crazy um, Taxi in Brighton. We did have an 18-wheeler, but no Crazy Taxi.
3: Yeah, the, and the Crazy Taxi one was uh, so much fun, and I, I, I remember playing it on the Dreamcast at home, particularly doing you know the little challenges and stuff that were added to the, the console version, and then playing around and then being able to go back and play the one in sort of in the arcade and it was obviously it was more immersive in the arcade I was in a big unit that was just like a lot of fun it had a second seat for anyone who was silly enough to sit next to me whilst it thrashed around and being seeing my improvement quite clearly from a game that seemed to match it in the arcade was uh, was absolutely fantastic Mm. when you start taking different routes as you start to learn a little bit more about the structure of that game, and yeah, you know, Crazy Taxi was possibly my most played yeah. Dreamcast game of yeah. them all.
2: I love that too. I and yeah, exactly what you said. I used to play an arcade machine near our house after the Dreamcast game, and I got to the point where I could do laps around the city. Yeah, and like once you get to that, and it's just it was uh, it was so satisfying, and just the mechanics of you know shifting. Down up down up to do that kind of boost Ka-chanka, move and like doing all like the sliding around corners and the Dreamcast version played awesome but I I always loved the wheel for that precision that you yeah. got from like weaving through traffic you could make those minute adjustments mm. it always felt great and none it's of the, the ports is ever as well quite, as hard to be.
0: none of the ports has ever quite captured the magic I wouldn't have said um, yeah they're, they're okay be. but not quite there um, speaking of ridiculous uh, cabinets brought to home the F three fifty five game I never played because I heard oh, it was yeah. intensely punishing, realistic <laughs> simulation of, of driving is. a car, but I I know it was absolutely adored by a certain subset of driving gamers.
3: Fantastic video game. Right. It's it's an incredibly punishing game. It's one of those ones where you could tip the corner wrong, you slide it, out the races right. all yeah. over. Like that you really have to learn um, to gauge the power of a car, and it's not about, you know, it's not arcade racing. It felt like the first time that we were playing a true sim, um, and even if you'd come across from something like Gran Turismo, you're like, it's all right, that advertises itself as a real driving simulator, I'll be fine. And the next thing <laughs> yeah. you know is you're at 180 on the first bend and all the cars are gone. And But when you started to master it... Right. Um, Satisfying. The, there was warning. very little feeling like it.
2: And that was one. I did actually play that in the arcade. We were lucky to have one of those oh, around, wow. as well as the airline wow. game that used the same oh, yeah. setup, where they both had that triple screen. Yes. Three CRTs, sort of wrap around. You get in yeah. the cockpit. You actually had a full H gate and everything for the, uh, the shifter. Huh. And uh, that was very satisfying. That but did it's not one come those- to Dreamcast. <laughs> no, not that part. No, and that actually—that was one of the things. Is playing on a Dreamcast, the single screen setup made it much more difficult to like. Sort of, you didn't get that same immersive feel. Sure. And no. then, of course, the the pad itself couldn't quite replicate that feeling of mm. having the real wheel and everything. So, I always find when playing driving sims, they're they're kind of boring on a controller, but they're extremely engaging if you have the proper wheel yeah. setup because it actually does start to resemble, yeah. your brain just like clicks, and you're like, okay, I'm driving a car, and then you start to be able to do things more naturally. You react quicker, exactly. don't you, to your back
3: end going out and stuff. You feel mm. it with a wheel yeah. to, compared to what you see on the screen that you don't with a stick. Exactly. There was a wheel
0: on DC. I forgot to mention in the on peripherals, I did have one, the official wheel. I, I bought it for Daytona, Um and it really helped with that game a lot because it didn't play so well on controller. Daytime. But um, it was not force feedback, but it did have quite a lot of resistance to it. So it probably would have made Ferrari more enjoyable, F3. 5.
2: Thinking of uh, um, racing and wheels, there was uh, the port of or the new version of Daytona, 2001. Yes, indeed. The Daytona USA. And that was a tricky one because on the gamepad, they actually used a more wheel-like design for the yeah. steering. Mm. Where And this is where a lot of people got it wrong. If you just tapped left and right, the car would go... Crazy, yeah, left and right. You really actually had to hold the analog stick up while you played, and then sort of slowly rotate That's your it. thumb left yeah. and right, and then you sort of simulate turning a wheel. And once yeah. you actually got that, it felt pretty
0: darn good. Yeah, it was a cool version. Um, Confidential Mission was the other light gun game of of note from Sega Stable, uh, which was a kind of yeah, sort of James Bondian but loony in a loony Japanese arcade game light gun game style. Uh, That's- uh, worth seeking out.
2: <laughs> Outtrigger though,
0: not quite as good as Ghost Squad. Um, Outtrigger, yeah, this is a cult classic that I've never played, but this was Sega doing, effectively doing a kind of online battle arena at the arcades, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, and I have also have the Dreamcast ver- or sorry, the Japanese version, which comes in a box with the Dreamcast mouse. Ah, yes. Uh, so you actually play it, yeah. if you like, anyway, with the mouse, which. For that extra precision. But Absolutely. it's a yeah. It's almost like a fusion of like an Unreal Tournament Quake Three style game, but yeah. with a fighting game like Virtue of Fighter, because mm. the arenas are very, very small. Right. It's very right. tight. But when you're in there, you know, it's it's like just this constant action. So you're never really out of the action for long uh when when engaged there. And it's a sixty frames per second game as well. So it felt very slick and smooth. Yeah. Uh it's a neat little game.
0: I think it got a very limited release very late in the Dreamcast life in, yeah, in PAL. I think so. Uh one you do see around is Zombie Revenge. Was this in the same lineage as the Die Hard Arcade or that um yeah, yeah it's in in the same it's the sort of post polygon um Sega brawlers that um that had their had their fans.
2: Yeah, and the voice clips have never truly left me. Like I still say like, an <laughs> un- antidote. <laughs> Up there with House of the Dead 2's voice. Oh man. Yeah. The voice acting was it's the best and the worst.
0: Awesome. <laughs> another cult classic that I don't even remember seeing in a shop was Cannon Spike.
2: Yeah. I ha- I have that. That's a actually that's a game I've grown to like, but at the time I was very disappointed because I was expecting uh something a little bit more Contra esque, okay. Even, like in the overhead, but the problem with it is that it's pretty much just a series of small arenas, short battles, kind of chained together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time, I was starting to like get into the more meatier games a little bit, which I then have now kind of returned from, and now I prefer arcade style quick games like this more. Yeah. So it's one of those things where I appreciate it more now, and, and- it's a fun little, it's a fun shooter.
0: Yeah, and again, it's one I mentioned, because I don't think it's available anywhere else other than emulation or the original hardware. Yeah, Um,
2: arcade or Dreamcast.
0: Yeah. Uh, Mr. Driller, this was the best place to play the original Mr. Driller. I imported Mr. Driller uh, with a glittery case. uh, I love love Mr. Driller. Mr.
2: Driller was one of those games that cost a lot of issues. It got an unfair bad reputation because of Soul Calibur. Because if you recall, Soul Calibur came out, blew everybody away. Namco said, okay, we have more projects for Dreamcast. The next one's revealed. It's Mr. Driller. Oh, right. And, you know, it's this colorful 2D-looking game. Super 2D. You can imagine yeah. people coming from Soul Calibur are going to be pretty crushed by this.
0: I certainly wasn't. Uh, I was I was in love.
2: A lot of people were, though. And it, <laughs> yeah. it kind of gained a bad reputation in the U.S. But in reality, Mr. Driller is really good. Mm. I actually yep. think that... Uh, the Mr. Driller G on PlayStation is the better Mr. Driller game. Yeah, has two players. But I yeah, had that and here. the music, man, oof, and just the extra modes and yeah. And then the GameCube Mr. Driller's awesome, and yeah, yeah. it's awesome on Dreamcast. Too. It's coming back. Probably the last good one while we're talking Mr.
0: Driller was uh, W on the Wii, which was downloadable. We oh, one. Yeah. Um, but yes, apparently they're bringing it back. Fingers crossed, it's not terrible. Um. Very quickly, the fighting game scene on the Dreamcast was solid and it was definitely Huge. definitely the format to own, to continue for those of us who'd been playing all the Capcom games on Saturn. They carried on by bringing over. They also you know, brought over the all the variants of Street Fighter 3, Street Fighter 0-3. Also SNK brought King of Fighters and Garrow, a great version of Guilty Gear X as well. Um, but I suppose, yeah, Carl mentioned Dead or Alive 2, which was stunning at the time. Um, before Dead or Alive Two was only known for uh, for pervy costumes. Oh, it's a
2: it's a great game too. And stunning polygons and and the, the polygon count on the fighters is huge. Yeah, it's like crazy. it's actually one of the most uh, geometrically dense games on Dreamcast by far. It's yeah. I don't know how they did it, but the character models are like two to three times more complex than anything. It's in like very Soul Team Calibre. Ninja. It's definitely sixty frames, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, and I feel like that is the game that defined the Team Ninja of. I guess that era I would yeah. they're not really the same as they were. No. I would say. But yeah, <laughs> the Ninja Gaiden doing, era. Yeah. The the Neo games are quite good, so I will mm-hmm. give them
0: that. But, yeah. Uh yeah, so um th- I guess the other thing that we did get here that we wouldn't have definitely wouldn't have got on the Saturn was um we got the sequel to the game that wasn't converted to the Saturn before but was uh on PS1 which was pr- uh, Rival Schools, we got Project Justice. Um, which is now very collectible and quite expensive. Often, I believe we also got Tech Romancer, which is a kind of mechy polygon fighting game. I'm
2: glad that I got all of the. I bought all of these games when they were brand new back. So in the did day. I, and then
0: sold a lot of them. I kept them all, but I love <laughs> you. Them. Are a sensible man, um, and of course, uh, possibly still the definitive version of Marvel vs. Capcom 2: New Age of Heroes, which built on
2: Naomi hardware. Yeah
0: absolutely and um yeah the versions since then running under emulation stuff currently not available and always missing features and and certain things so yeah still the best way to play power
2: stone games
0: power stone of course power stone um i still prefer the original for its
2: purity i i do too even i think they're kind of different though yeah, uh, I always found Power Stone Two was a great party kind of game. Yeah, I had a lot of fun playing that in four player. But as a pure fighting game, Power Stone One, I really like Power Stone. I wish,
0: I wish yeah, they. I know they real. they released the double pack on PSP, but it hasn't seen the light of day nope. for a decade or more.
2: More than a decade. I, I always preferred it to. It's different, but I always preferred it to the Smash Brothers games. To be mm. honest, just in terms of pure sure. gameplay. Yeah, uh, it's a much narrower game in terms of scope, but man, I I really wish they would bring Power Stone back. I feel like they could really do it justice now. I agree. Yeah, but I love Power Stone one. Amazing.
1: Yeah, I, I probably played more of the second one, and probably like contrary to everybody else, I probably enjoyed the second one more, right? Because the, the big thing was like being able to kind of that thing where you could customize your own items, so you had to create. I was like, going
0: to say, did you understand that? Because
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I didn't like get into that in, at all. in the what in in every like. Uh, Game mode that you could play like either with other people, or what's it like? Where you, where you do like the little kind of arcade mode and get to the end? Like um, all the items that you collected, you could then mix together to create like other items. That's right. And there was hundreds and hundreds of like dead rare items with like yeah, no yeah. real like RPG big, weirdness. Yeah, exactly. I was really kind of that was the bit that kind of I was really kind of thingy, really into it as a, as as kind of part of that. Um, I just I remember spending ages and ages and ages and you would just get nothing, do you know what I mean? And yeah. then you randomly get like, do you know what I mean? It was how illogical it was. You'd mm. mix, you'd mix like a chicken with a flamethrower and get like a three-way bazooka and be like, oh, perfect. This, this is makes, why I didn't this, get this it. M- <laughs> this makes the most. This makes the most sense. Uh, but yeah, I did him. Um, yeah, I, th- I think they were both of them. Like Power Stone was one of the games that I used to see running before I had a Dreamcast, um, and I remember yeah. it was like it's a great like display, ain't it? Really of what of the 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 Like the smoothness and the 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 processing speed, really. Um, But yeah, I remember Power Stone Two was the game that I played at my mate's house when I got stuck at his house because the trains that made Mm. me think I probably need to uh, I Mm. probably need to get involved (laughs) here. Yeah, Power
3: Power Stone was sort of a game where obviously I picked it up at launch that and Ready to Rumble Boxing and ended up. I played quite a lot of Ready to Rumble boxing, but Power Stone was the one that I would go back to. And when friends were around, that's what was going on. Mm, oh yeah. Um, And we'd just pile around and had the best time, the, the best laughs. And I'd love to see it come back, uh, follow some, some of the uh, changes that Smash Brothers had over the years, bringing things in, utilizing mm, stages from other areas, sure. maybe the uh, Sonic All Stars Racing kind of style of um, incorporating Using all the styles. Yeah. Characters and stuff. Because uh, oh my God, yeah. there really is such a great party game there. I wish
0: we could all four of us just play
2: Power Stone now,
0: anyway. Yeah. Uh, legit.
2: <laughs> uh, I think was- the uh, Japanese version of Power Stone 2 has online play as well. Ah, of course. Yeah. Which many so, games in Japan did <laughs> that we did not get here. I've seen some videos of people recently hooking
0: up their Dreamcasts to the internet. Still, you can still get on there somehow oh, yeah. by hook and by crook, but. Uh, um, to not much end but just one of those technical curios
1: on oh, no, what's it sorry just the thing you've had to fight in games one thing i forgot that i was, that was going to say um uh, that i bought my dreamcast with street fighter 3 which was kind of massive but yeah. the uh the ufc game on the dreamcast for me oh was yeah absolutely was incredible was right it? Be- because one it was really good but two right i'd watched mixed martial arts in like the, the mid 90s and then there was just a black hole of being able to see it then because, like, the mm. shop stopped stocking the videos. And, like, I'd, like, th- it was pre-internet, and there was no way of kind of catching up with it. And then this game came out in about 2000. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, this looks good. I remember watching, like, the first kind of few videos. And uh, I-, I picked it up, and uh, my uh, a good friend of mine picked it up as well. And we I swear we were, like, the only two people I knew who had it. And I just put so much time into it. and And the funny thing was that not long after like in about 2002 ish when i kind of stopped playing that the, the sport then got a, a bit of uk kind of distribution so i could watch it on kind of bravo um so that game was essentially my link between like being able to watch mixed martial arts when i was like 15 16 and keeping my interest until it, it was, became more widely available and i honestly credit it for kind of um what i'm doing now with mixed martial arts really and it was one of those games where it had like a, a full like thingy intro, a full like a, a really cool FMV intro with like Megadeth on it, and like a load of like clips. And and the the, the, the crazy thing about it as well is it had um uh, the one of the first ever mixed martial arts referees, Big John McCarthy. He featured in the in the game itself <laughs> refereeing, and he was like a hidden character. And you uh, once you'd beaten the game, you like if you beat it so many times of different things. You could unlock trying to fight big john mccarthy but he was way harder than everybody else and could kill you with like one or two uh one or two punches and a couple of years ago uh, i worked a show uh, uh with big john it's the first time i'd ever met him and i got a photo with him and i chat to him and uh i said uh, i said how come you i said do you ever play video games he went oh, n- not as much and i said uh i said you're impossible on the the, the dreamcast game he goes they told us we were doing that we were going to feature in that and uh, they wanted to make me a boss. So I just said, make me as hard as physically possible. I was like, well, they did it, yeah, (laughs) you're fine. (laughs) But I love he had no concept of the fact, do you know what I mean? That he was an absolute, I was like, it was ridiculous. He was harder than all the UFC champions. It was a joke, (laughs) but like, uh, it was just dead. It was a real surreal kind of moment for me. But one of those games that I look back on and think to myself like uh, another one that I'd play till like four or five in the morning and I'd be like, oh, I better go to bed now.
0: (laughs) Speaking of which, I think we're gonna lose uh... The great John Linneman. Um, we've been going on we've been going on long and um, it's an hour later in Germany where John is. Um, yeah, you know, we got work tomorrow, we've got to work on those videos. Not though. a problem. So Thank you so much for your time. I think we've um, we've established how you feel yeah. about the Dreamcast. Oh yeah, um, absolutely, an important machine and formative for uh, somebody who's now absolutely full time video games. As if you could have been anything else. <laughs> um, yes. But yeah, thanks again so much for your time. Any uh, any 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 plugs you want to drop before you say good night?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, as always, uh, come check us our stuff out over on Digital Foundry. Um, you know, youtube.com slash digital foundry. <laughs> yeah. Obviously the DF retro stuff, that's that's kind of my big passion. Yeah. Uh also I just put out sort of a documentary video I shot recently on a, a game called The Surge 2. Uh whether you're interested in the Ooh. game or not, it is a cool yeah. game, but mm. uh I really tried to do like a full scale, like real documentary looking video on cool. how they made it, and uh, but I did it all by myself, so it was kind of an insane effort. Uh, and yeah, just, you know, I'd like to hear thoughts on that if you guys get a chance to check it out. Definitely. But, but for now, I guess uh, I'm going to go get some sleep and then yeah. wake up and I might play more Dreamcast before I get to work because <laughs> uh, I love talking about the system.
0: Absolutely. Well, thanks again for joining us. Take care. Right, Sorry guys. for keeping you so long. Steph, sleep well. No problem. Thanks See to you again, guys Later. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Absolutely. Take, care.
2: Take care. Bye-bye.
0: John Bow's out. Uh, we shall do another 20 minutes or so to wrap up these games. It's important. Um, So I was just about to mention 2D shmups. There were a lot of them. um, And indeed, I think that's one of the things that's kind of kept the system going. Um, Things like uh, Border Down and Under Defeat came out relatively late. But even now, there's still stuff in the homebrew arena being made, games coming out all the time, not officially licensed or whatever, but being programmed for the Dreamcast and being available to download or even buy in some cases with cases and inlays and things. So. Um, I think it's one of the probably it's probably the machine where shmups live on along with the PC, Um, even more so than the consoles where they they used to have their home. There were some rhythm action titles. Uh, Space Channel 5 started on Dreamcast, later came to other things. Of course, there was a double pack even on PS2. Alex 79 says we all loved it. It didn't matter who was holding the D-pad. The rest of us would gather around the TV and drunkenly act out the routine Ulala was instructing us to from the screen, and of course, there was that uh, notorious case of the lady Miss Keir from delight uh, trying possibly not successfully I can't quite remember how it ended up, but um, she was talking about uh, suing Sega for the use of her image in the game because um Ulala did seem to be very much like um, her in the uh, Groove is in the Heart video. Cool Cool Tune was a cult Japanese classic that I had for a while. Um, probably closest-ish to something some like a cross between the Buster Groove games on the PS1 and Guitaru Man, but more Japanese and poppy. It was by SNK. Uh, sports-wise, we've just talked about UFC. There wasn't a lot uh, overall. Obviously, we had the Virtua tennis games as part of, That comes under several brackets of Sega and arcade conversions, and those were amazing, I think. But um, other than that, we had 2K. So you were saying the NFL games were highly regarded. Yeah. What about the rest of the 2K um, stable? Because that was what there was really, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, so... 2K was building it up, wasn't it, with the basketball games, the NBA 2K, which is obviously a, a monumental hit now, mm. and it took a while to get going because EA had been doing the NBA live games since at least the 1997 version Earlier, was the first one I, I, I ever say. played, yeah. and that was on the PlayStation, Um, and I would think that that came from before then. Yeah. But it, it did make... A it probably, yeah, I would say it would be fair to say it made a ripple in the industry yeah. in regards to their importance. You know, John's mentioned there about um, EA essentially buying out the Madden license for the NFL so that no one else can actually do it. Uh, that probably says quite a lot about how big of a deal NBA, uh, NFL 2K was right. on the Dreamcast. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't released in the UK um, oh, okay. in PAL territories. Right. It was a, a US game. So it was kind of one of those ones that you read about all the time, yeah. but never get to play while sticking with Madden, which obviously does get released. You could have
0: got a DCX disc and played your import copy, of course.
3: Yeah, that would have been the ideal solution. But uh, it wasn't to be. And it's, you know, when you still see people talking on forums about how good NFL 2K was and bring back NFL 2K. Um, I think that probably speaks volumes. I guess they just didn't how, how have the
0: resources to make both the NBA and the NFL or something. I don't know.
3: It's possible both were visual concepts um, making the game, which yeah. is the developer that works under the two K license. They'd have
0: had to expand massively. But um yeah. who knows? Could have been I guess Madden kinda killed him, but um in the NFL arena. Um whereas EA's basketball didn't quite have the same uh mm.
3: It's had the Power. opposite effect. Right. He, he really messed the the uh, NBA license up yeah. hugely, mm. um, pulling it when it was already in chops. Okay, which probably speaks volumes for how bad that how bad of a nosedive that series took. Mm.
0: But yeah, lack of top tier sports games, or at least perc- that was the perception, yeah. was probably a problem for Dreamcast. Dream, uh, driving games, arguably are similar. Of course, they had uh, one kind of killer app. Uh, the UK developed Metropolis Street Racer that we covered in a separate podcast uh, that managed to Probably create quite titling. a buzz. Sega GT, meanwhile, was sort of Sega's answer to Gran Turismo, but it was kind of yeah, uh, Gran Turismo two, I guess on the on the um yeah on the PS two on the PS one. Sorry, was would have been a year earlier. Yeah, exactly. Uh, two
3: maybe two years earlier 1998,
0: wasn't it? The la- um, this wasn't enough to sway not. people. At
3: all. And and of course, Gran Turismo three was going to be a huge deal for the PlayStation Two, yeah. um, in terms of people waiting. And it's a shame. Sega GT actually was a pretty decent game. Mm. It looked good, it ran pretty well, but it got very little hype and it quickly got bundled in with another game that I'm scratching my head oh, to right. think of what it was. Yeah. Um and Sega Double GT pack. was almost a giveaway game with something else. Absolutely I want to right. say it was it was something else. What do I want to say it was? I think, was it Jet Set Radio? I want to say it was Jet Set Radio and Sega GT got bundled or some strange combination Maybe. of games. Uh, let us know, listener. I can't. Th- you're absolutely
0: right, but I also can't remember what the other game was. Um, yeah, there are a couple of other third party ones of note that I've seen crop up in best of lists, Test Drive Le Mans and Vanishing Point in the more arcadey side. side. Um, but, you know, not games that have gone down in the annals, although the Test Drive series is obviously uh, ancient and storied. First person shooters was a thing. So not only did I get a keyboard and mouse to go on the internet, I also got a keyboard and mouse for me to play Quake 3 Arena. And it worked really well. It, it like obviously it did. I didn't have the PC version up and running next to it to compare, uh, at least initially. But it actually obviously lower resolution, but it ran fast, smooth. Getting online was easy. You could pick servers like a PC game. And I actually did OK at it. Uh, I had a lot of good times with this. I never played Unreal Tournament though.
3: I never played Unreal Tournament on the uh, Dreamcast yeah. either. But I, I did pick both up in '99 on the PC, and um, they were my full forays into online gaming on the on the PC. But what was interesting is you could quite quickly mod the PC version of Quake Three Arena to see the Dreamcast servers. Yes. I remember that and then if you didn't have a mouse or a keyboard on the dreamcast you really didn't stand a chance in fact that it became brutal yeah
0: I, i'm sure
3: i remember playing a
0: cross cross format on that um from the dreamcast interesting yeah yeah uh a few rpgs of note some some quite mediocre ones as well but the two legendary ones skies of arcadia um they uh, sort of dx'd it for the gamecube but as uh, John was saying we lost some we lost something as well but they also toned down the amount of uh, random encounters and stuff like that uh, another epic jRPG also the sequel to Grandia Grandia 2 which also got a port to PS2 but the port was terrible i suspect the the recent port to switch is hopefully closer to the original than um, fingers crossed
3: because yeah. they are both really much loved RPG yeah yeah
0: um very much in the the vintage mold the classic uh stereotypical jrpg but with slightly more um in dynamic combat than some
1: of their peers yeah. yeah i did i did both of them and I, yeah, oh, yeah i was really yeah i was really impressed yeah um Granny 2 stood out to me at the time mm. there was what's it as well i think i might have mentioned it before on another show um there was a like a diablo style uh, dungeon crawler type adventure game yeah. called record Called Record of Lotus That's War right. that I yeah. I played a lot of. There's uh, also
0: some Gauntlet game uh, yeah. arcade conversion. Of, yeah,
1: Record of Lotus Testament. War was mad. It was like 50 quid everywhere, and then I went into like HMV, and there was like 200 copies of it, and they were all a tenner. Mm. I was like, oh, beautiful. This, this didn't sell in. so I ended up uh, I ended mm. up picking what it was massive as well. It was really good. Like it was kind of a um, yeah Diablo kind of yeah. Baldur's Gate kind of uh, kind of game like that. But there was a, a like always makes those kind of games. There was a massive kind of character customization uh potential of like forging different weapons and yeah it was i was a i was a uh, was a big fan of that a bit of, like i say a bit of a niche one but if anybody like is into that kind of stuff it's a, it's a great example of that genre for me
0: mm, awesome uh, there are a number of games that as you would expect came across from other formats uh some successfully some less so pc playstation n64 in particular I'm sure you guys, uh, I don't remember, but I'm sure you guys talked about the Dreamcast-specific version of Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver, on that podcast with John. Uh, yes, yeah, with John Lennon. Yeah. Um, there was a version of Star Wars Episode One: Racer, which I think was probably based on the PC version rather than the N64 version. Uh, you can get that on good old games now. There was a DC version of Shadow Man, which was also on PS1 and N64 and PC.
3: Uh, but you could see where you were going on the Dreamcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: uh, There were sort of fairly perfunctory ports of things like Dino Crisis and Resident Evil 2, Grand Theft Auto 2, MDK2 2, I think was actually co-lead developed on Dreamcast and maybe the Dreamcast version yeah, is, a, right. is a different game slightly to the other one
3: there's definitely something where MDK 2 is different yeah. on Dreamcast whether or not it was the lead or it was a slightly mm. different version but I remember it was a really big deal in the media they picked up on it and it was advertised everywhere mm. and then the game released and nothing yeah. it was the strangest thing <laughs> yeah. because MDK was such a cult hit yeah. when it first came out it was very different, different developer from else. of course but, um, yeah of yeah. course and, and it was I remember being really excited for it and then it, it was like the game didn't exist. Mm. It was a very strange moment in gaming history. Uh,
0: arguably the best version of Tony Hall's Pro Skater 2 was on Dreamcast, I think, in terms of, certainly in terms of look.
3: V- yeah, in terms visually, yeah. it was much sharper. Mm. Ran, ran smoother than the PlayStation 1 as well, which was starting to show its age.
0: And a fairly straight PC port of Worms World Party. Yeah, Possibly there was another Worms game on Dreamcast as well. I forget. We covered that in our Worms series, of course. Uh, Another one uh, that I would class as a killer app, this was one of the games that I knew I needed to have a Dreamcast before there were conversions uh, to other systems. You can play on everything now. But Resident Evil Code Veronica, this was so exciting. Uh, A next-gen Resident Evil game being developed from the ground up with the Dreamcast in mind, um, with polygonal backgrounds. And having now finally played it and completed it for the show, Um, It's probably not anywhere near my favourite Resident Evil But it is one of the biggest and the toughest
3: It's the one that I think has changed My opinion has changed on the most From when I first played it to when I play it now So obviously, as a style, they have all aged That's undeniable Mm. I really loved playing Code Veronica When it first came out, I really struggle with it now Yeah but I can still play Resident Evil 1 yeah. and Resident Evil 2 and Nemesis. So something, somewhere doesn't quite land anymore with me with Code Veronica, but when it came out, I hammered this game. Yeah, um, Loved it when it first came out. Uh,
0: Choo Choo Rocket was free if you sent off for it. That was the, my yeah. strongest memory. Uh, it was a new Sonic Team game, a multiplayer arcade puzzle party game. And... It, I just loved it. I
3: couldn't believe it was free. Um, you could that—that's the strange thing, right? <laughs> like, how how is it? How how was this of all the games on Dreamcast the one that was free? And I remember I, w- I waited until after six o'clock so that the uh, yeah. so it was cheaper to dial online. Yeah. Entered my details yes. into the boxes. Same. Two weeks later, my copy turns up in the post, yes. and it's a proper kit. Like it's everything. Yeah. Like and and it was so much fun. I thought it'd be a curio. Like. I'll play it for five, ten minutes, whatever oh, it was no, free. Oh, it's a regular
0: and multiplayer it, gem. It,
3: yes, it's it right up there with Bomberman for me, mm. and that is really high press. I Recently made a
0: comeback in Apple Arcade, but I haven't played the new version. Um, but I hope it's I hope it's going down well. Um, just fantastic soundtrack, great humor. Um, yeah, used to love it. Uh, Capone Adam the legendary from the forum says i remember going out to pick up a reserved dreamcast on launch day at the time i had never owned a pc so it was the Dreamcast's promise of internet wonders that sealed the deal for me unfortunately what i remember are very vague memories of horrible modem dial-up sounds website images that took forever to load and paying by the minute i only ever remember playing choo-choo rocket online hardly a game to showcase the wonders of the world wide web yeah i would actually say it didn't run very well online um It's quite kind of laggy. Um, I love the concept of the LCD screen, but in all honesty, it never really improved any games for me. The entire system was just way ahead of its time in the worst possible way. That said, I can understand why this system is still beloved by so many. It had a whole range of unique, well-made, memorable classics such as Jet Set Radio, Crazy Taxi, Shenmue and Power Stone, to name just a few. It was an incredibly risky and brave move by Sega. Thanks, Adam. Uh, Cosmic Smash, I don't think, came out in the West in the end. This was a Sega first party title that was a kind of 3D Pong. <laughs> uh, never played it. Toy Commander seems to be fondly mm-hmm. remembered. Uh,
3: very fondly it, right. remembered. Um, so I rented this game. I didn't get it at launch. I thought it wouldn't be very good was my original opinion. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, I picked my four titles at launch. And then I rented toy commander sometime later, and I was blown away by the scale of what was happening, so this was like battlefield nineteen forty two before battlefield nineteen forty two was a thing yeah. in terms of having different vehicle types. you were all toys yeah. so it was it was a step up from what we'd seen on army men on playstation mm. again, quite fondly remember mm. the title mm. and I remember being playing my friend and he's chasing me, and I'm a plane and I'm weaving in and out of the spindles of the banister railings (laughs) to try and avoid shots. And I remember thinking, like, what a pure, wonderful memory of a game to have. Mm. And every we've seen games come that imitate this style since, and none of them have come close to capturing the magic of what Toy Commander did. Mm. And it's also the game that I've thought about trying to remake most of (laughs) any game I've ever played, because I always feel like all this time later... We still haven't There's had someone no done a that's been its
0: master,
3: no. They have, but it's just—it's never had that same feeling. It's never felt. Mm. It felt so populated. It felt like there were so many objects to hide or navigate around and be really skillful with. Um, it was just genuinely good-hearted mm. fun.
0: I know how Darren remembers it fondly. He's often talking about uh, which is the game he wants to bring back in a Toy Commander style. I always forget, uh, but yeah, he's he also has those those memories. Um, Neat. The typing of the dead uh, has lived on on. It was on PC at the time as well and uh, and has been yeah repackaged and, and resold on different formats uh, is surprisingly entertaining uh, for a typing tutorial game because you get to kill zombies at the same time. Um, we mentioned Man earlier. I never actually got a copy of Man, so I've watched I've watched it online and I was aware of how weird it was. It's a game I would actually like us to do a podcast on someday, but uh, you need to get hold of it and a microphone and kind of live with it for a while to understand what it's all about. Um, <laughs> other than um, other than being able to finally get online and, and look at adult websites, uh, any semen on your Dreamcast? <laughs>
3: uh, not for me, unfortunately. It was always one of those games that I wanted to try but didn't quite want to cough up the money. Yeah seemed like a novelty. um, Yeah, yeah, and I wasn't sure how much life I was going to get out of this game. But as time's gone on, it's always one of those ones that I feel like I'm still as curious about it now 20 years after. I know what
0: you mean. Yeah. A couple of Japanese-only ones. Yu Suzuki Gameworks, uh, which had some official, but not very good by all accounts, Mega Drive emulation. And uh, Sega Gaga, which uh, is stylized SGGG 3Gs um, and again is, is a sort of notorious cult classic but you really do need to understand Japanese to play it, it's a, it's a kind of RPG um, based around Sega properties and characters um, I mean an absolute kind of fan service wet dream in some ways uh, with Samba de Amigo and Outrun and you know all sorts of bits and bobs from Sega's history featured within it don't actually know how good of a game it is but that's kind of not the point uh and final curio is uh, we mentioned it already Bangio, which was a different version to the n64 original but this one i did buy and uh completed on pal and um again it's not the same as the game that came out on 360 or ds either it's its own bang uh and it's a it's a real a real little curiosity but uh quite a gem as well not easy
3: mm. um i'll add another yes, one to please. this list because I, I forgot to mention it in the driving game oh, yeah. section but it does it can belong in this sure. section as well and that was revolt which was on multiple formats oh yeah i've seen that crop up but in the, some
0: um in some best ofs
3: you know and the dreamcast version was so different in terms of uh the level builder in it was really comprehensive oh. so you could build these incredible tracks and Ultimately, you're a small RC car, and it reminds me a lot of Toy Commander, I think, of the two combined, because you are ultimately a small toy. And you'd make these outrageous tracks because you you seem to have loads of memory to be able to build these really complex tracks, something that I'd not actually experienced in another game in this depth before. And the amount of times uh, my best friend and uh, myself would make our way home after school and we'd spend hours building countless tracks that were just absolutely insane um, to see if the other person could actually make it around, and it was just the best laugh. And then when I spoke to people, they were like, "Oh yeah, I've played Revolt." I'd say, "What about the level builder?" And they'd be like, "What level builder yeah, isn't one?" No, You're I'm, like, I'm oh, right, yeah, well. yeah, yeah." And that that was the best part of it. And unfortunately, it wasn't mm. like the the same thing in in the other versions. And it was it was absolutely fantastic.
0: Uh, before we quickly talk about a few uh, famous, infamous turkeys, uh, Ben, have we missed any of your favourite DC games out at
1: all? Um, no, I think we've thinking them of all off the the top. Of my head. like I say, um, the the UFC one for me was uh, it was fairly big and 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 kind clearly of, uh, formative. Yeah, and and uh, yeah massively and PSO. and as much as I, I mentioned about buying the uh, the fishing rods to play uh, Soul Caliber. Uh, Sega Bass Fishing was a load of fun. I played that. I played a boatload of that. (laughs) Oh, I didn't even try for that. (laughs) They're the best ones. That just fell out of my head, honestly. But yeah, I did play quite a lot of that. And uh, it was always, uh, yeah, it was, was, I don't know, like it it was one of those games that there was was never a bad time to play it, do you know what I mean? Mm. If you wanted to like, there was like a campaign mode if you wanted to put time into it, or there was just an arcade catch a load of big fish mode. And like, uh, there was always a, do you know what I mean? There was never a bad day. There was never a bad kind of a kind of time for that. Um, but yeah, there, there's there's loads of it. I remember um, my mate had a puzzle game we used to play two player. Uh, Wetrix, I want to say it was called. We oh, played yeah. that. Lo- yeah, we played a lot yeah. of that. Wetrix two point
0: oh. That was um, that's from well, social media pals of mine, the Pickfords. Um, oh yeah, John and Steve Pickford. Oh. Um, they, did, they
1: did Feud, didn't they? They the did spectrum? Feud, yeah. You've I done seen some of their games. We had, yeah, yeah, yeah. we had Twitter interactions about this thing. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. That's right. But yeah, yeah I remember that. It was, yeah. yeah, that was really good. It's a great really, game. Really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, fantastic.
0: The N64 original, then that one, and then um, Aqua Aqua was the, uh, the next one on PS2. Yeah. I sometimes ask them to bring it back, but they won't. <laughs> so yeah, I'm fortunate enough to never have played any of these, um, but I wanted to just name check a few of the Games that you may have been cursed with as presents or may have even spent your own money on. Suits from the forum says, one of the most dreadful games for me was Fighting Force 2, which was a total mess. Uh, Other ones that came up when I was looking at worst games on Dreamcast lists. Repeat offenders include South Park Rally, Sonic Shuffle, which was uh, Sega's attempt at a Mario Party style board game, uh, Urban Chaos.
3: Uh, I played Urban Chaos. Yeah. That was a rough game. <laughs> it it was sort of like um a predecessor to what we see from stuff like Grand Theft Auto yeah. and whatnot now in an environment where you'd punch stuff and not nothing it did was fun. The characters were unappealing on the cover in the same way that yeah. they were unappealing on reboot the CG animated oh, show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um in the they don't even go in Uncanny Valley. They're just horrible yeah. CG models. Like The aesthetic appeal of the game fell so short for me, and it didn't play fun on top of that. There was just so many better alternatives. It didn't really know what it wanted to be, I think. Mm,
0: 90 Minutes, Sega Championship Football. Not sure who made that one. Uh, luckily, I didn't uh, splurge out on that one. Uh, bought a few football games in my time. Um, spirit of speed 1937 um, not sure what the speed is possibly less than 37 miles an hour ducati world uh, looks uh, I've, I've watched this running um i mean yeah just uh, astonishingly pants looking motorcycle racing star wars demolition um i can't even remember what you were supposed to do in this nightmare creatures 2
3: not a very good survival <laughs> horror game yeah
0: And and more motorcycles of a different kind. Jeremy McGrath, Supercross 2000. Avoid, apparently. Um, Obviously, it's all subjective, but those ones came up in multiple kind of avoid these lists. So uh, you've at least been warned. Casey from the forum says, I'm a bit weird in my appreciation of the Dreamcast. I was always a Sega kid growing up, but being born just a few short months before the Dreamcast US launch, I was too late to even be a Sega hardware kid. Nevertheless, I grew up playing a lot of games that were, unbeknownst to me, Dreamcast games like Crazy Taxi and Sonic Adventure on the Gamecube. As I grew up and got nostalgic, I did some research into these games and discovered their Dreamcast versions and picked up a Dreamcast around age 17. Once getting through my nostalgia playthroughs, I was able to discover just how ahead of of the curve this console really was, from its excellent ports of PC games to its quirky selection of original titles. There's nothing quite like the Dreamcast and it's a console I'm glad to hold on to. Collecting has gotten expensive, and even the modding scene is a bit prohibitive for a college kid like me. But as an avid racing game fan, most of the stuff that catches my fancy is readily available, and for that I am very grateful, as the Dreamcast is often the best way to play these games today, as PC games from the era become harder to run on new hardware, and GameCube game prices rival new AAA releases. So, that's a, a younger person, Tipping the Dreamcast as a a good collector's machine.
1: Two other bits of a uh, niche uh, Dreamcast goodness that I've just remembered. Yes, sir. Uh, the uh, Ready to Rumble boxing series I seem to remember being a massive deal. I remember that being like uh, on a lot. If you, yeah, if you went in yeah, it was Michael Buffer, wasn't it? Yeah, if you um, if you went into like shops and stuff, and they had a display model set up a lot of the time, you'd have you'd have that on there. And I think there was a demo that came with the. Uh, a magazine that had uh, the sequel with a couple of characters playable. Michael Jackson uh, which, was in
0: the second one, I think.
1: Which is quite yeah. And yeah, I remember also
0: in Space Channel 5. So there are two uh, two games with the Yeah, I remember
1: that being a being yeah Peter being Fire. quite a big uh <laughs> big <laughs> quite big quite a big deal. Um but uh I remember what's it as well another neat like like I say I don't know how this port found its way here but uh I had Railroad Tycoon two oh, on the Dreamcast right. as well <laughs> which was right Fant- I, I don't understand why it was so good, but I spent ages playing it, mm. and it was so—it was like it shouldn't work really. They got the like controls
0: all—all all on there.
1: It was—it was—it was absolutely spot on. I can't—I just never forget. There was like a, there was like there was a big campaign mode. There was loads of missions. There was loads of scenarios, and uh, I never forget the slowest train was called it. It was called the Iron Duke. And I ran this one line right from basically, like you do with these <laughs> games, you think to yourself, what's the most ridiculous thing I could do, right? <laughs> so I remember running a train from, I did the Land's End John Groats basically. And uh, this train took 117 years. And I only, like, I, I remember playing it at the time and being hammered and thinking to myself, what would have happened? The stories if you'd have worked on that train for generations, do you know what I mean? As it took 117 <laughs> years to get from the tip of Scotland. <laughs> To uh to the bottom of Cornwall. Yeah. But uh but yeah, that was another one though. Like I never saw anything about it, and then I randomly no. just walked into HMV and it was a tenner And I was like, Yeah, why not? Mm. Why the hell not? Let's make some trains. Good on you. <laughs> right.
0: Uh so yeah, further reading I do recommend, even though I haven't got it yet myself, because I've got the Mega Drive one. Uh if you go to readonlymemory.vg, they do a book called Sega Dreamcast Collected Works. Uh, It's £35. It's by Simon Parkin, who you'll almost certainly have read something by on the internet over the years. He's a very uh, widely distributed journalist. And um, these books that they make are just beautiful things. Um, Pages and pages of information and um, technical diagrams and art from the games and interviews and whatever. Um, I've got no reason to pimp this other than it looks like a beautiful thing. And I've got the Mega Drive one, which is a beautiful thing. So Um, If you're a Dreamcast fan, you definitely want to check that out, I would say. Uh, And in closing from our community, Ashman86 says, 20 years on, the Dreamcast is still the console nearest to my heart. It epitomised for me the creativity and ambition of video games. Groundbreaking, a little weird, wacky and most of all, fun. Thank you, Ashman. Uh, So it just remains for us to summarise our Dreamcast feelings in brief. To conclude this, as always, lengthy format special podcast,
3: Carl. So I've mentioned already how special the launch of the Dreamcast was to me. It's the memorable uh, release, the the whole year's build-up of being excited, reading import magazines, and finally getting my hands on the games. And I was from a community of friends that were very much in the I'm waiting for the PlayStation 2. Um, and I was the advocate for Dreamcast and slowly winning that community of friends over to the point that they started picking up Dreamcasts always felt like a little bit of a victory. Unfortunately, it was a shallow victory because the the console uh, lived what was ultimately a, a a short life if it weren't for um, sort of the shmups, which thankfully have, have kept it in some relevance for these years. And, We do hear the cliches all the time about it was too soon for its time. You know, it was ahead of the curve, etc. And what it was, was it was at the right time. And we always have something that's a victim for everything else to thrive. This set the way for so many console features that we've seen since. And it was Sega that stood up, took that risk. Unfortunately, they fell short, but they influenced everything that came after it. And I think that that is it. The Dreamcast's legacy. Um, it had it, it. It bridged that era between the decline in the arcade and the access to playing it at home. It took a risk on online gaming before it was solidly established across PCs. Um, and these are the things that we take for granted now. These classics like. Uh, Crazy Taxi and, you know, Virtua Fighter and all these other games that have come out of the arcade are so readily accessible on pretty much any digital platform you want on current consoles. But they were a huge deal at that point in the Dreamcast, and they're so much more than a footnote at the back end of a store. These were the things that were the peak of 2000s gaming, and just thinking about that makes me smile so much, and the influence that Sega have had on the industry. um. The ones that recognize it are probably the ones that are so strongly calling for um, that Sega influence again, and it, it's sadly missed, but it's so fondly remembered, and for that, the, the Dreamcast has always remained the most special console to me. Um, it it was It burned so bright, really, in terms of my excitement for its launch, playing it through for two years, and then seeing it sort of slowly fade away. There was not a time that I played it in those two years that I didn't love what I played. I had such a wide variety of games, um, sort of brave development before development costs skyrocketed through the roof on on new franchises. We saw the classics from the arcade. We saw games like Seaman and Sega Bash Fishing, which shouldn't exist, but did. And, you know, Space Channel 5 and just these bizarre hits that, you look back and you go, what were they thinking? But it's so wonderful that we got them. Um, it's just such a strange time in gaming history. And thank you so much, Sega, for giving us the Dreamcast. Very nice.
0: Yeah, I suppose thinking back about the active time in service, my Dreamcast, it was, I guess, as it was for a lot of people. When you compare it to something like the, the PS3, 360 era, and even the current generation, it was you know, a fleeting, glimpse just a couple of years really compared to five six seven eight nine years whatever um but yes it did as people often say about the dreamcast uh it it did you know burn brightly and then fade away i'm less sort of upset than some of the most hardcore pure sega fans about it being sega's last console because i'm I'm generally happy for the people who make games to make games for other platforms but that said you do miss out on The certain relationship that in-house teams have with hardware uh, that we we don't have so much now. We've got Sony, you know, there are Microsoft teams and we have Sony teams making stuff for uh, Xbox and PlayStation respectively. But uh, back when it was, yeah, um, back during this era, you would when the hardware was more distinct one console from another you would always you could always rely on the first party teams to do the most interesting things and get the most out of the consoles so this probably did somewhat signify the end of that era although Nintendo very much still doing it i guess for their for their own things but um yeah i've still got my dreamcast that says a lot there are certain games on it um while i'm certainly not averse to playing things re-released on other machines and and even emulation and whatever in other, in some cases There are certain experiences that I cannot have anywhere else other than the Dreamcast. And um, there's a few titles that I regret having got rid of that would now cost me a lot of money to replace as well. And if I do, as uh, John has been advocating uh, and is getting a lot of people kind of itching to pull the trigger on a nice CRT screen of some kind, uh, the Dreamcast would obviously be one of the machines that was permanently hooked up to it um, so I can always play Power Stone. And one or two other things, Choo Choo Rocket, because there's no other way of playing those games in that way. And there's whatever the age, 20 years old, whatever, there's still games that I want to play and enjoy playing fully when I do. So yeah, Dreamcast, awesome. Let's conclude with Ben.
1: I talked before when we did the Amiga, uh, the Amiga kind of special, and I talk about Machines and and things occupying occupying a certain kind of time in in your life and what it kind of means. For me, there is no perfect, no more perfect kind of metaphor of a time and a state and a place of where I was than the Dreamcast because it had that, it, it, it so summed up my time at university in terms of it was a very short space of time. It was like two, three years. And it was a time where I felt like, I could physically change the world i felt like everything was like everything seemed possible i had kind of money for the first time i was going out quite a lot i was meeting a lot of people everything was kind of a new experience and everything was amazing and when that time ended and i got a desk job i was like this is rubbish <laughs> Do you know what i mean this is absolutely <laughs> terrible i hate this and the problem was was the fact that like th- that that kind of short period that felt like it was never going to end had ended and that was exactly the same. I remember where I was when I uh, heard that the, the Dreamcast was getting discontinued, and it was towards the end of my. It was like the last term of university, and it was heartbreaking. Do you know what I mean? And and I didn't buy a new console then. Well, that that was like the last like new console really I bought within a couple of months of it officially coming out. Do you know what mm. I mean? It kind of. I'm not saying that it killed my enthusiasm for that, but I just felt like. There was there was nothing I would have changed about it, and there was nothing that I thought that they, I don't I'd say could have done differently, but there was no I I couldn't have made that better in any way. Like I can't I can't like begin to describe what it meant being able to play video games with people from all over the world. Do you know what I mean? That's the stuff when you were like five or six that people would say, and you'd say that it was impossible. Do you know what I mean? When mm-hmm. you'd go into arcades and like the the ability to kind of do that, and like I, I'll, I'll never forget like coming in do you know what i mean from nights out and putting pso on and like playing then till like six in the morning like that that was the first console that changed kind of legitimately made me change kind of my lifestyle in terms of like the for the first kind of couple of weeks when it came out and i didn't have any lectures like i was like getting up at two in the afternoon and like playing then till like six the next morning and then sleeping till two in the afternoon again it was winter i didn't see any daylight for about like no exaggeration <laughs> i physically didn't see any daylight for, for a good kind of two weeks two and a half weeks and like there's very few kind of things since then that have had that kind of effect really like uh, there's there's way too many games to kind of bring up individually that, that i played on there that i kind of still hold as kind of special and and like um like university itself it kind of it had to end it was an amazing experience and i look back at it now and think to myself like i'm so happy and so lucky that i I kind of shared an experience like that where kind of the real world kind of didn't matter for kind of two, three years. And there was no more perfect kind of foil to that than having a console that's kind of special and is, is kind of, uh, I don't know, it's kind of revolutionary in many respects as the uh, as the Dreamcast. And uh, yeah, it's just, it just, it hit, it hit all the right, it ticked all the right boxes at, at specifically the perfect time kind of in my life. And every time we, and as soon as you said about the Dreamcast, I thought, I immediately just thought to myself, this is just one of, one of the most kind of, yeah, one of the most perfect times where kind of technology and kind of my life experiences kind of converge, really.
0: Superb. So as you can tell, listeners from our hushed and croaky voices, it is late. It remains for me, Leon, to thank Carl, Ben and John, the departed John, uh, as well as our editor, Jay, and our correspondents, and to you for listening, Ben. Uh, Let the listeners know where they can find your other
1: stuff. Thank you very much. Uh, Check me out on uh, One Credit Classics on YouTube uh, and Number One Credit Classics over on Twitter. There is a different uh, video game played with, uh, I don't want to say hilarious, it's quite funny how annoyed I get at a lot of these games, kind of commentary every week from the uh, mid-90s to early 80s. I play a lot of uh, Golden Axe, Ghosts and Goblins, Girls and Ghosts, games of that frustrating nature. There's a uh, it's Patreon as well, and I've just well at the time of recording, I've just finished an 11 part, multi part long play of Super Mario Kart, which yes, concluded a couple of days, which concluded a couple of days ago with uh, a, a completion of the 150cc Special <laughs> Cup, which was like a digitized 16 bit version of Escape to Victory without Michael Caine.
0: How many <laughs> how many goes did you have to have at that? Because that is
1: a pig. Honestly, one. No word of a lie. One. And it was that one. I hate Unbelievable. You. Honestly. Star Cup, the one some before that. make it really easy to
3: dislike. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: clears throat> Honestly. <laughs> Mate, you should have seen me on Star Cup. It was terrible. That took forever. Oh, and okay. I just thought, I did the Star Cup one and thought, I've got some good momentum here. I'll have one go at thingy, not thinking I'd do it. And then I did it. And then I finished it and nearly started crying. It's a good video, anyhow. I should but yeah, get that watched. You yeah, should yeah, do. You'd yeah. have a lot of fun with it.
0: One credit classics. Uh, you should know by now. Listen. OK, uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider our Patreon, patreon.com slash Kana Rinse. And if you do, if you're listening to this uh, at the end of the year or early 2020 and you're not a patron, if you become a patron now, our next format special on Sony's pleasing pocket powerhouse, the PSP, is out pretty much now. So do it. Just a dollar a month. It really does help. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.